Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Smithsonian Institute's recommended jazz books for kids and young adults list is available on Amazon.com. Get your autographed copy of the award-winning James Reese Europe Jazz Lieutenant at the official website, www.jazzlieutenant.blogspot.com. Once again, get your autographed copy at www.jazzlieutenant.blogspot.com. Ask not what we all be can do for you. Ask what you can do for we all be. We all be needs you to join the movement. On April 10th, 2006, a movement was born. Please give to grow the cause today. We All Be has grown from being just an idea and a blog to a multimedia force of nature for true information dissemination to uplift, empower, and liberate the masses in the 21st century. The people must know before they can act. It takes a village to raise a child, but it also takes a village to raise a movement. We all be need the village to respond in order to ensure that the we all be movement grows up to its fullest potential. Please send your love donations or donate your fair change for change via our PayPal link located on our official website, weallbe.blogspot.com, or mail your love donations to the following address. Attention, Ronald Hurd II, the We All Be Group Incorporated, P.O. Box 752-062, Memphis, Tennessee, 38175. Your financial support would help us continue our mission to educate the masses via We All Be News, Radio, and TV. And please remember, we all be in it to win it. So get in the game and do your part today. We love you madly.
coming. Hear it. <laughs> We say I'm easy for my grandma. 
in America of African American religion, uh, Christian religion, I guess, the AME, the African Methodist Episcopal Church. So we're going to get to the phone line shortly. Uh, let's see. We got Eric Code 914. Y'all on the air. What can we all be? Hello? Yes, it's Sister Jean. Hello? Hello, can you hear me? Yes, it is. Mr. Heron, how are you doing? Oh, good. How about yourself? You doing all right? Well, I'll tell you what about me. You know, I'm a little bit older. Mm-hmm. And I've seen so much. I've seen so much. But this, this is my second church bombing slaughter. Well, he didn't bomb, but he may as well have put a bomb up in there. And not to say that other churches haven't been burned, because I still haven't gotten over the church at Ferguson. You know, the church at Ferguson got burned, too. Right. During the riots after Ferguson, and we still ain't got to the bottom of that. And then I heard they shot up in the church up over there in Memphis the yeah. same night. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it looks like an attack on black folks that are innocently going about their daily lives. And they've always done that. They've always done that. So my heart has been heavy for a long time. And it's even heavier as we talk about these issues. You want to talk about the flag? I'm going to tell you something about that flag. I don't call it a flag. I call it a rag. Mm -hmm. That rag says to white racists that they can treat black folks any way they choose. And that's what that rag means. That's why it Mm. has to be history. And not presentry. Yes. It took one black woman to risk her life and take down that Confederate rag. She climbed up that flagpole in the shadow of death. And lo and behold, it was two black men that undid what she'd done by raising that rag back up. Black freedom has always been about single acts of courage. If we as people, people as a whole I'm talking about now, can ever begin to think that we all need to be courageous and perform courageous acts, we'll be a lot further along. Black folks have to decide one thing now. Do we lay our lives down and put it on the line and our livelihoods on the line, or do we keep our backs bent and allow the white man to ride us? And that will pose a different question. Who exactly will be the beast of burden then? Mm -hmm. I'm here to tell you, Mr. Hearn, and you know I know. You know better than a whole lot of folks out here that talk to Mm -hmm. me through Twitter, that talk to me through LinkedIn, that talk to me on an everyday basis, exactly what I do know. And one thing I'm going to tell you, Black folks, I told them two years ago, we got to get right or we got to get left. Well, we done got left now, okay? If we don't get what we need and get it before May of 2016, we won't get anything for another 50 years. Do you hear what I'm telling you? That's what I hear. This country, when it swings all the way left, it swings all the way back right. It happens every 8, 12, 15, 20 years in this country. You're going to get a Republican president. You heard it here first. 
you're going to get a Republican president. If you don't get what you want, if black folks don't get what they want now, you ain't going to get it. And you ain't going to see nothing for another 50 years. Because when they put that immigration bill through, you're done. Mm. They won't need your vote no more. But they need it now. And this may be the last time they need it before that immigration bill. I need for black folks to wake up, stand up, and do the right thing. If some, if a white man asks you to raise that Confederate rag because it's your job, tell him you don't want your job. Because if it had been me back in the day, they wouldn't have even parted their lips to ask me because they'd have known where I stood. Mm-hmm. A long time before that flag came up or that. You hear what I'm telling you? Mm-hmm. We got to yeah. figure it out, and we got to figure it out quick. Otherwise, we're going to be toast in this country. They're shooting us down like fish in a daggone barrel and putting it on TV to let you know this is going to be your way of life. This mm-hmm. is what it looks like, nigger. That's what they're telling you. Mm-hmm. And they ain't going to say it like I'm saying. I'm going to give it to you straight, no chaser. But you know and I know what's going on. And what's going on on that Capitol Hill, <laughs> it ain't nothing nice and it ain't nothing pretty. Black folks better wake up. You see what uh, Bree Newsom did? She climbed that flagpole. We need more Bree Newsoms out here. And less mm. two men who won't risk a job or a paycheck to put that thing back up. What you scared of? They're going to kill you anyway. They're coming after you anyway. Yeah, but that's always been the thing with you. going to lay down and get you. Yeah, that's always been the story of South Carolina. Yeah, I mean, amen. But that's always been the story of South Carolina where, you know, yeah, 40% of the enslaved Africans came through Charleston Harbor that came through this country. But also, you know, Big Mazzesi turned insurrection, and it was the Negroes or niggas that did the men. Same thing here, this is the crime the flagpole, pull down their rag, as you say, and it was the Negroes, the niggas that did the end. I mean, then you want to think about it that way. But South Carolina, to me, they produced some of the scariest black folks and some of the most courageous black folks that we ever had in this country. I want to get down, I want to bring into the conversation some uh, South Carolinians. If they will please uh, press one, I know they want to talk. Uh, I see some, I had invited some uh, Charleston natives to talk about what's going on. Some involved in the arts, some involved in the media. But I'm assuming they want to talk and uh, express themselves. So I'm going to give them this opportunity. So if you are from South Carolina, 843 area code, please press one. I see one right now. If you want to speak, 843, you're on the air. Welcome to We All Be. Hey, Ron, how you doing? It's uh, Talbot out of Charleston. Hey, brother Talbot, I'll tell you. How you doing, man? Tell me what your, your title is, man. Your title, your official title. Stop being a male man and father, man. Well, I'm, I'm the managing editor at the Charleston Chronicle newspaper, which is the African-American newspaper serving the low country. All right. And all of that is soon to be. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Soon to be on a, if uh, my grandfather let it happen. <laughs> yeah, Uncle Pretty, definitely. And also, it's the state's oldest black-owned newspaper in the state of South Carolina. How are you doing today, Coach? I'm doing well. Doing well. It's actually a little cooler today because of the rain, so that's definitely not too hot down here. Yeah, definitely. So I want to get your take about what's been going on because you told me about the story uh, that happened with the Charleston Massacre, the Charleston Church A&E Massacre. But also you told me something that was very disturbing, being that you are a media person, that you heard about this story first from CNN, not from local news. Right, right. I was just home watching the TV and flipping through the channels and uh, – 
turned to CNN and saw the uh, Charleston church shooting. And uh, I was hoping it wasn't my Charleston. Uh, but when I found out it was, it was just unbelievable. So across all the news that's been going on, uh, you see you had Obama come down for the funeral for Reverend Pinckney. And it, the big thing we talked about is the flag issue. And I just want to reiterate from the last caller um, what the woman said about black folks waking up. And that's clearly what needs to happen here. Uh, because what we don't want to happen is the same thing that happens all the time. Because pretty much um, black folks in America have been asleep for part of the last few decades. And it got to a point where they got content. You know, we got a little money, got some jobs. And now we're at the point where we don't want to lose our jobs. And we don't want to stand up for things mm-hmm. that need to be done. So even when the Walter Scott thing happened here, uh, you know, it was, it was, the media attention was great, and a lot of people came out. But, you know, you have things happening every week, every day uh, that affects our community. And, you know, we're not just talking about what happened at the church. You know, we got economic issues, educational issues. Uh, we got politicians who are in position, African-American politicians in position that don't do their job because they don't want to lose their job as well. So black folks definitely need to wake up. And I don't want uh, the things to keep happening to where there's no action to take place um, after what really happened. So the big thing right now, they're talking about this flag, taking on this flag. What we're focusing on is, you know, even if we take down the flag, you know, then what? What does that mean? What does that mean for the African Americans? That's not going to change our situation unless some real action happens down here. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. And also, I want to add another caller to the mix, another uh, native South Carolinian and a person who's very expressive. Um, everybody, I got everybody who's been calling in so far. Y'all, I'll unmute you, so feel free to join in the conversation while you can, given where you fit in. While you spoke of, spoke of Walter Scott, um, cousin, I want to bring in Brother Philip Hyman. Are you there, Brother Hyman? Thank you. Hey, welcome to We All Be. How you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. You kind of far away. Are you on speakerphone by any chance? Yes, I am. Yeah, we can't. We can't really hear you. I think I lost Okay, maybe he'll call back in and call drop. Uh, cousin, Cousin Tober, are you there? Yes, sir. Yeah, I want to ask you about this Confederate flag thing. I think it's kind of uh, curious that all this this movement, this big push to, to tear down or bring down anything Confederate-related that happened after the massacre. Do you think this is like, what do you think is the big, the big play here? What is going on? What is really the big play with the Confederate flag movement, uh, monument movement? Well, I think a lot of it is a political game. Um, you know, when Governor Haley, she made a big announcement on, I believe it was Tuesday, mm-hmm. or whatever day it was, that she supported it just two days earlier. She thought it was okay. Um, so I think it's a political game. Uh, I really think people, you know, people are, are running, and they know it's a political thing that they have to do. They, they have to make sure they stand on that side of the issue. But I do commend her for taking that stand because she didn't have to do that. Um, but I don't think it's going to matter. Um, I know here in Charleston, uh, we did a story recently 
Um, we, you know, we got both. We got both sides of the issues. Uh, we talked to a young, a young um, white fella, and he was saying how the flag represents history, and which is true. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it, I think the pros and cons of that, the cons outweigh the pros. You know, we got a lot of history that belongs in the museum. It doesn't need to be in our state capital. And we sit here have economic issues in South Carolina. A lot of the time, people don't come to South Carolina just because of that flag. You know, we haven't had a, a, a bowl game here in South Carolina basically because of the flag flying. And I, I saw how in Alabama, they just, uh, two days later, that they took down the flag just like that, but we got it written in the law where you still got to get a two-thirds vote in the Senate and the House. But we did, fortunately, vote to have the debate. So we think it may come down, but we're not sure it's going to happen. But at the end of the day, it's not going to change race relations in South Carolina. Well, what about the act of the sister going up the flagpole, like Sister Jean spoke of earlier, about her going up the flagpole and pulling it down, not asking the powers to be any kind of sort of permission, and to have the two brothers pull their flag back up again? What do you think about that? That's crazy. That's crazy. It's unfortunate. I don't think if I was one of those brothers, I could have put it back up because it doesn't make any sense. And they use two brothers, right? They use two brothers to do it. Like right. you, know, you they said, you made white boys do it. Oh, see, that's just play that you do. I would have made them do it. Put your own flag back up. I would lose my job over that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the point. Like, that's right. That's not my flag. But I'm glad, like, like uh, back to what uh, one of your callers said before, we definitely need more people like that young lady. It's, it's definitely out there, but, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about that, about, you know, leadership, what does it mean in this age of Obama or the 21st century race of quote for America. But I want to get back in the discussion, Brother Philip Hyman. So we talked we talk about Walter Scott just recently, and he actually did an angel, a real life of death, that was an honor of Brother Walter Scott. And I just want to get his input about what he feels the situation is in Charleston and in North Charleston. How are you doing today, sir? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, considering. Yeah, yeah definitely. We didn't have to have you on the air. Let me get your thoughts, man. I saw you a couple of weeks ago. I was in North Charleston, interviewed you at the spot, you know, where Walter Scott was basically crucified and assassinated, in my opinion. And you brought your wonderful artwork and you told me a little bit about the uh, social political situation in North Charleston and Charleston. So, what are your thoughts right now post uh, church massacre? Well, um, I basically. I'm pretty proud of Charleston um, and really the families. Um, basically, again, like the Walter Scott case, the family has set precedent in the way that they handled the press and the uh, and just the kindness that they showed, um, and it has reverberated through the whole city. Um, I think uh, I have a friend of mine that's left the town, and I, he was new to the city, and I'm really sad that he left because it was a great opportunity to see something that's happening only in Charleston that I don't think is happening anywhere else in the world. But the amount of unity, the amount of of really people are just going out of their way to talk to each other, it's a beautiful thing to see, but it's a tragic thing to also to see. And um, I'm kind of uh, also in the same vein as the the former talker talking about Nikki Haley and um, her position with the flag. Um, basically, it, it, it's a diversion. 
um, from the issues that need to be talked about, and the issues that need to be talked about is the race relationships, but also the reason why I did the angel was to keep the focus on the families that are basically having to deal with this trauma, and they should be our concentration always until the funerals are over with, and then we can start talking about these other topics, which definitely need to be talked about, but we need to really respect what has happened and the death and the grieving families and make that the most important thing in all these situations. I definitely hear that. And also, I want to get to the fact, like, I know, uh, uh, Cousin Toba, you still there? Yes, sir. Yeah, I want to ask you from a media point of view. I was very disturbed about some of the uh, lack of facts that were reported by the mainstream media. Like, it's like they focus mostly on emotion, uh, the manip- and the, uh, manipulation of people's emotions. Like, it's, it's evil, evil, he's evil, this is about love and all this stuff. That's fine and dandy, but I feel like the media's job is to report more facts than fiction or opinion. And I think the mainstream media did a horrible job. And not and raising and not raising certain questions like for example, uh, the AME Church, uh, saying the uh, Mother Emanuel, they had security cameras, correct? Did they have security cameras to your knowledge? Yeah, they have security cameras. That's how they so what, pictures and uh, young man. So where is the footage of him killing the people? Yeah, anybody ask those up? Where where is the footage? We actually had a conversation about that the other day. Um, there definitely should be some footage available from him pulling up and entering the church. The only footage that we saw, we saw the photo that showed him entering the church and his car parked. And the only other thing we saw is when one of the victims, um, Taiwan Sanders, he did a Snapchat uh, video that showed them in the church. So we're still trying to get some of those questions answered. And I don't know why it hasn't come out yet, but. It's definitely something that should be available, and I don't know why it is, but we are well, definitely looking into it. Well, CNN and places like that are not pushing that. They're not pushing no question. They're focusing on human interest. No, no disrespect to the family and victims. They're focusing on human interest angles. They're not focusing on that hard stuff that needs to be pushed out there to the public. So that's one. And another question I have, have you uh, talked to the family members of the quote-unquote five-year-olds that played dead? Have anybody reached out to them as far as do you know anybody connected to their family or the five year old that played dead? I know someone connected to the family, but I haven't personally spoke with anyone um about that. Um I know what I've heard is some people outside of the situation trying to actually blame some of the victims for what actually happened. Uh, they try to try to say that they could have did more. How how did they let everyone get shot? How, but you're not in that situation. I'm sure well, that was something that didn't expect. I'm um, definitely in a state of shock. So how could you expect someone uh, to stop someone from doing what they already had planned to do? Um, it was already known that Mr. Sanders, um, the youngest victim, stood in front of his mother and tried to stood in front of some of the elderly that did get killed. Right. So I don't understand some of those mindsets. Now that's good. I'm glad you raised it up because it's easy for people to talk to you know quarterback, you know Monday, you know Monday morning quarterback, and as they call it, to talk about what the victims should have should have done. But most of the people they killed were elderly people, or older people, with the exception of Brother Sanders. And you know it was like 
what, about 13 people there, or they said 13 people were there, and now she got killed, six women, three men. So it's like, but my thing is that right. if you being a parent, you can you believe? I mean, this 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 is think about your point of view, like just on your intuition or anything. Do you feel that it's possible for any five year old to play dead or stay dead under any circumstances? Right. It, it don't sound like something, baby. It don't sound like something that really would happen, but. You know, these kids are pretty smart today. I'm not, you know, they watch a lot of... Well, guys, but the first, your, first, your first answer was what? You said it don't sound like it, right? Your first response, you said it like didn't it. sound like it could be... Because you got twins, right? You got young, healthy twins, right? Yeah. And they about almost three years old, yeah. right? Correct. Do they stay still at all? Yeah. You guys, when they sleep? Yeah, they're taking a nap right now. <laughs> right. But even when they're napping, they're kind of moving around, right? <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, so that was just, this thing. I'm not trying to say this exception. Like you, you might have some precocious five-year-old kids, but what I'm saying is, even with the guy, they never showed us any pictures of him getting in and out the car. They don't show us no pictures of him, no footage of him getting in, in and out of that car that they said is car, his car. And then for him to drive over 200 plus miles while nobody's seeing him or reporting him, because I've been to South Carolina. Y'all got a strong police presence in Charleston, correct? Pretty strong, yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, it's a tourist destination, so you got a lot of interest downtown. So for him to be able to get away like that, and the ATV and all that stuff, it sounded strange to me. And the only thing they did record was that he was 21 years old. They knew that for 30. And then the pictures, it seemed like they, they, they cleared the pictures up pretty well after they identified who this person was. So this is the things I want people to start thinking about. So I think uh, people I ask these questions, it's not right. I wouldn't blame the victims at all. But I am curious. Now, you, you have interviewed uh, Brother Pickney before, right, the Reverend Pickney? You have interviewed him for your papers. Yeah, he was actually he was actually in the paper uh, the last edition on June the first year, trying okay. to talk about uh, churches together to talk about the nonviolence. All right, cool. And what type of person was he from your point of view? You interacted with him. I tell you, first thing is he's very smart, very intelligent man. Uh, the first time I met him, uh, we were talking about. Just business, just some business thing. He's a very technical person, um, mm-hmm. very knowledgeable, and very passionate, and do anything he can to help. You know, of course, you know he died at the age of forty-one. I'm thirty years old, so I looked up to him for mm-hmm. advice, and he's mm-hmm. always uh, willing to give me anything that he could give me. If I test him, he tests me back for anything he could. So it's just unfortunate to lose somebody like that who would go out their way to help anybody that they could. Um, very smart man. It's unfortunate that he had to leave behind everyone that loved him. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely unfortunate. So it is a tragedy here. And I, I just want people to also, like, you know, as we get through this, you know, so these things keep on happening and happening. But I was also fascinated, you know, um, Brother Hammond, I'd like to get your perspective on this as well. Do you feel like, you know, uh, they said that this guy was trying to start a race war. Do you feel like a race war can happen in Charleston of all places, or in North Charleston, considering some of the incidents, like the Walker Scott, and also what happened with the church? Do you feel like a race war can actually happen in, in a place like Charleston? Um, you're talking to me, Philip? Yeah, uh, yes, sir. Yeah, uh, well, I know that um, uh, we have had a lot of factions coming into town from out of town, starting um, trouble even with Walter Scott. I was very surprised with that. Mm-hmm. And even with this incident, we, we do have a lot of people that are coming in from out of town that have a prior agenda. 
So it's kind of um, a, a thing to really watch. It was amazing to me um, to try to figure out who is local and who's there just basically coming in to start trouble because with every one of these incidents, I'm a firm believer now that I've been involved in it that they do have people that come in with their agenda and start trouble just to try to start the controversies. So mm -hmm. I have to gauge that on what's going on re in reality with my neighborhood and the response. I think that we do have a lot of people that are angry, but I've been very, very encouraged to see how people have handled this and then have reached out in kindness. So it kind of diffuses some of the anger, but I can see it boiling underneath the, um, underneath the, the scene. And also, um, I'm in agreement um, that a lot of things, even with the Walter Scott case, um, they don't change. They, we bring these things up uh, to CNN, we talk about them, and then everybody makes the same conclusions. But when it comes back to actually making changes, um, the cities and the municipalities and these people are very entrenched in their own thinking. And they're not very um, open to even one or two things that they can do in good faith to make changes. Um, so I'm, I'm more concerned about that because um, these people don't realize we only have 15 minutes here of, of that people are going to be watching this issue and that we have to make changes um, and, and make something happen out of this instead of keep going on with this continuing behavior. I hear you. Oh, Cousin Cobra, you got anything like Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm good. Cousin Cobra, you there? Yes, sir. I'm sorry. Yeah, you got it. Like, you feel like this situation right now is a climate conducive to a quote unquote race war in Stockton and Charleston, the Charleston, North Charleston area? I don't think. Um, it's going to start a race war. Sure, it could happen. But of course, this guy, you know, he's not even from South Carolina. Not, he's from South Carolina, but he's not from Charleston. Um, right. And, and South Carolina, he's from Lexington. And most people in South Carolina know Lexington is one place you don't want to be if you're an African-American on a dark road one night. <laughs> that's definitely, oh. um, that's not something. Uh, he's from a place that has some of that history, and I'm, I'm, I'd like for someone else to talk about that because I don't feel safe when I go to Lexington personally. But yeah, I, I think, think uh, mm -hmm. it will start a race war. I think that we, we need to focus on what are we going to do when the smoke clears. Uh, like uh, like God just said, you know, it's only a short time that we'll be focusing on this and then seeing this going to move on. So what are we going to do as a community? When the smoke clears, uh, weeks ago, well, a week ago, when it first happened, um, the NAACP uh, CEO, O'Neill Brooks, he, he held a press conference on Columbus Street downtown. Mm -hmm. And uh, our, our South Carolina uh, NAACP leader, Ronnie Randolph, one of the main things he talked about is, you know, we got to get out there and vote to see some of these things happen. Historically, we haven't voted to make some of these changes to keep elected the same people in office, and things don't get done. But as a race and as a community, I think Americans need to come out and vote. 
we need to start showing up to some PTA meetings. When it happens at city councils, we have to be at the table and be in the know so that we can see some real change. Um, I think that that's what really we need to focus on at the same time, making sure that we honor the victims that had to do with this tragedy. I definitely hear you on that. And also, you mentioned Lexington. Now, that's the district that Representative U.S. Congressperson Joe Wilson represents. And if people can recall a couple of, I guess, State of the Unions ago, he called uh, President Obama a, a liar, you know, on national television. He said, you lied, you know, just like that. And, uh, you know, he called out. So that's the that's a district represented by uh, Congressman Joe Wilson. That's where this Dylan Roof character comes from. And also what's interesting, too, I like to point out, kind of figure it out, where he got, quote, unquote, captured at, you know, Dylan Roof. He got caught in Shelby, North Carolina. And Shelby, North Carolina is the place or the birthplace of Thomas Dixon, Jr., who wrote the Klansman, the book Klansman. It led to the uh, creation of the film, The Birth of a Nation, which came out 100 years ago this year. It came out in 1915, which led to the reemergence of the Ku Klux Klan. So the guy who wrote the Klansman, Thomas Dixon, Jr., was born in Shelby, North Carolina, uh, January 11, 1864, and he died April 3rd. 1946. Now, April 3rd is the supposed birthday of uh, Dylan Roof. He was born allegedly April 3rd, 1994, from what I can recall, from the media sources. So the media didn't even talk about that angle. They talked about the Rhodesian plague and the South African apartheid angle, but they didn't even talk about that angle right there. That's very significant to me. Uh, and it's very weird because I know they, they discovered the quote-unquote website last weekend. And I'm trying to figure out who took those pictures of, of Dylan Roof, uh, posing with the Confederate flag and whatnot. And so this is some of the stuff that the media has felt us on. But they've not really felt us on it because their their goal is to distract and mislead people a lot of times from the truth. The fact that CNN could break these stories before the local news media is to be also be noted. You know, uh, there's a lot of things going on right now in this period that should be noted and people should be thinking about these things as we talk today and beyond today. And so we're going to hit the phone lines, got somebody else I want to add to the conversation from uh, B-More. I think this sister Sabrina Green. How are you doing today? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. So this issue, I had to get on this because I, I remember when I was a little, you know, toddler. And first off, we lived in Germany. My father was as black as black can get. But he had a lot of respect because he was a commanding officer when we were at Dachau. Now, a lot of people don't know about Dachau. That was where Hitler had his best officers there. Uh, because of my father's rank, I never saw any prejudice whatsoever until seeing the Dachau concentration when we had some friends that were from Puerto Rico that wanted to pay their respect because they were Jewish. And mm -hmm. uh, shocking to see the gas chambers and all of that stuff. But in between, you know, when we were little and we went at, you know, family vacation, we went back to Alabama where my, my parents are from. And um, I had to eavesdrop to find out what happened with the, you know, the church bombing of the four little girls in Birmingham. And the shock to me was finding out how close that church was to my aunt's house. And thinking that, you know, 
if the bomb had been large enough or more power, could have, you know, impacted where she was and then killed our relatives there. So coming back and forth to Germany, I had a bias and a hatred, and I consider myself fortunate of not to be staying living in uh, the U.S. at that age. Later on, my father, you know, um, had to, um, you know, uh, uh, got um, the change to, you know, to come back to the States. I, ridiculous as it sounded, I, I planned with a, a family that I could stay behind, stay with their family, and the last sense that, you know, we had leaving Dachau, I had, you know, we hit them with my parents with that, that news. news. All the way up until when I got on the plane, my mother had to take the belt to me and say, get my behind on that plane. I was like, but I can stay with so-and-so family rather than come back. Because fortunately, and knowing how was Aniston, Huntsville, Jackson, um, Alabama, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, um, uh, Aniston, and, you know, just recently they had a situation with Aniston. Um, was where I did not want to, to come back in the state because seeing what happened with Martin Luther King, I said, well, I knew he had, even though at that age I didn't know quite know what was going on, but I said he was important enough of a black man to get the news over there of him being killed in Germany. It had to be significant, of, you know, and, and everything, and find out there. So I had such a, a bias and a hatred of saying I did not want to come back in this country and live. So as I grew older, I said, you know, I would not stand and tolerate for the Klan uh, because even, you know, when, you know, uh, getting older as a young adult, there came a confrontation in Maryland in New Carrollton. And there were some people talking about, you know, we'll send you back to your men and all that stuff. Well, me and my sisters, uh, the, the girls that were with me, we, we, we came out fighting at that. And uh, another time when was, I think, was in the early 2000s when Glenn Denman was governor, the Klan would always try to march in Annapolis, Maryland, and we had tried to be there. But even before, in Washington, D.C., that's one of my days of getting involved in activism. Uh, Because I remember when I saw them beat down a black person, but they yet, they allowed for the Klan to march down the street. The early 1980s, it was prevented by a number of people there. And I had my son there to see it for himself. And, you know, he would tell us, uh, uh, family friends and that, when we were in the car there, uh, this Pennsylvania, uh, Constitution Avenue, Pennsylvania Avenue, yell out, say, well, that's where we stopped the Klan at. That's where we stopped the Klan at. And people were like, what? Mm. And, you know, because I saw that was important for him to see that. And then later on, um, later in 1980s, when they allowed for the Klan to march in the street, and I saw that happen. And when I saw a person that survived from Attica, as the police beat down an attack on him, and I let him have it because a little while before that, now I think it was a week or a couple of weeks before, it was found out that in Manassas, Virginia, they had uprooted a burial uh, uh, place that the Klan and, and them were apparently what they were doing was kidnapping black men from Washington, D.C. Mm. and would go in, involved in what they call coon hunting, you mm-hmm. know, with chasing them and all that stuff. So that had came out before that march. And, and, and before that march, what happened is it was back and forth with the volleyball. The Klan didn't have a right to march. Then we found out from the media that was a hearing that was being held on Saturday night to allow them to march. 
and, you know, police were, you know, even um, the chief police in there were crying and saying, please don't let it have that happen. So they didn't allow it to happen. And what we saw was that the police having the lines, they were attacking on the people that were protesting against the Klan, which was the mixed people, black, white, everybody. And um, having to do security there was one girl, one no, was what a guy, he got in a, a gash on his head. And mm-hmm. so we were trying to ask what happened there. And he said, what happened? He got hit. So we're thinking like, oh, you know, let's been, you know, on, the, on our side or whatever. He says, no, it was the effing uh, cop uh, that hit me. And we're like, whoa, what is going on here? So then as it would move down Constitution on up to the Capitol, that was when the Brother of Africa got the beat down by the police. And I saw that. I was all over everywhere, television, of saying, you know, of me calling the police and all this kind of thing, and having them, uh, police dropping their heads in shame and, and that. So my, my, my thing of this is as we saw them march in Washington, D.C., they were 20s, 30s, and then in early, like, 2000, when Williams was a, um, the mayor, we saw up in the thousands, and um, I was like, wait a minute, this shouldn't be happening. Mm-hmm. And um, they said, yeah, but we got so much more on our side, you know, people protesting them. I said, no, if they're brave enough to come to Washington, D.C. March in the thousands, then that shows you there's much, a lot more than what it is. Now, what they also at that time, they put in place what was called the National Alliance. The National Alliance is where all hate groups, KKK, um, whatever you call them, skinheads, whatever, they did a coalition to get larger, and this is what is in place. So we focused on the KKK, but then recently in Maryland, with the governor and with the county executive of Randolph County, have allowed for the League of the South to come in and make chapters. Maryland has not said anything, and it's quite interesting that with um, Hogan, so-called as having to take time off his cancer treatment, where he's not said anything of this. Now, all the other states, including Virginia and such of that, are being saying, yeah, with the flag taking it down. It's more than taking the flag down. What you have to go to is what, and what happened is going to Sears, eBay, Amazon, the people that are selling those Confederate flags and demand that they stop selling them. Now, the other thing, too, that happened in 2004, yeah, 2004-2002, was when this black youth was dating a white girl. They were at a house party. He got beat down into the street because of the fact of who he was dating. The mm-hmm. clan and all of them all out here, you know, started coming out with flags upon flags on the cars, on the trucks, on the clothing, buffer stickers and all that stuff. And, you know, the NACP was considered militant at the time. So what I'm saying here is that it's more than what it is. And then the most insult thing that happened on Friday morning was when the Supreme Court made the decision and how Obama acted fastly on that. One, taking that phone call to speak with the person that had the the suit. Second of his, um, what was his statement, um, uh, conference or whatever that he had from the White House early morning. A lot of people looked at it, and I haven't heard anybody say anything this yet. But a lot of people looked at it as being very disrespectful for the fact that he was supposed to be doing his eulogy on Friday. And what he did to stand up for um, the Supreme Court decision and gay rights and 
and within two hours, you know, changed the colors of the the White House on the Facebook profile, and then later on at night, to change the colors on the White House. That could have been done later in the evening. That day, and um, from what we all know, is that he did know um, Pinkney and I think another uh, church member that 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 day belonged to the you know the eulogy and the the um, the, the respect that should have been given to about the people that have been um, victimized there in Charleston. And the last thing I want to say here is we've seen more church burnings, and I think the most important one that happened in, even in Tennessee, the NFL player that um, uh, that used to be a um, in the NFL that was uh, had his own church where it was burned down. Well, Reggie White. Was it Reggie White? I, I I can't remember his name, but it just shows there that it's a number of churches that have been burned down in the South and will continue. So right. we have to do something more beyond this. It's not just only just in South Carolina. And I I, I, I take it on this that with the sister's um, uh, news, news on Treat, a brief, when she took that flag down, she sort of did what we did in Annapolis. When they had nerves and uh, the police allowed them to march, uh, the um, KKK members to march with their flag through to where we were, they got the beat down. Yes, they got the beat down. And they also got their, their Confederate flag taken, and it was burned on the spot. That's yeah. what should have happened. Okay. So, you know, she gets arrested. They take it back. Okay, here, here, you know, whatever. Put the flag back up. No. Burn that thing on the spot. That's what should be happening. When you used to have the protests in the 80s and 90s and all of that with the American flag, and, 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 you know, if you got your hands on that KK flag, you burned it on the spot because that flag was treason. They all know right. it. And, and as you know, you look at the – matter of fact, go, go to the website, the uh, website of League of the South, and see how Michael Hill has stand strong advocating for the, the – the, um, the roof guy and the organizations that backed him, as well as the what is it called, conservative um, council? Yeah, conservative. Uh, yeah, you know how they're trying to claim and yeah, saying that they have been victimized uh, uh, in the situation. You look what the judge had to say when he had his um, uh, hearing about right. saying that the, the the concern of with the the uh, roof family and that. So you know what we have to do much stand stronger on this in demand. It's not only South Carolina, but it's all over. And well, let me let me let me uh, interrupt you. Yeah, I understand that. I'm, I'm glad you said all what you said, but I want to see. This is something people don't get on the regular news, and also I want to add to that. Uh, add further insult to injury to black folks. I don't know people don't know the history that well. That's why I'm concerned about this Confederate flag, man. Because folks don't go to museums, and that's the problem. You want to put it in places where folks can't see it or read about it. So I don't really, I don't, the, to me, the original Confederate flag is the American flag, okay? And I'm going to prove this by this story I'm going to share with you all, because this has not been put in the news like the way it should. Uh, July uh, 5th will mark the death anniversary of Brother Henry Lincoln Johnson. Brother Henry Johnson was a proud fighting member of the Harlem Hellfighters, the National Guard, the New York National Guard, 359th Regiment. He never got his just uh, just do while he was alive. He died at the young age of 32, a broken man. The government did not pay him his proper veterans' compensation, none of that stuff. He never got the Medal of Honor like he should. 
Like, I like to put it this way. If Sergeant Alvin York, who was a World War One hero and was played by Gary Cooper in a movie back in the 40s, I believe, uh, if he was Mickey, Mickey Mantle, then Henry Lincoln Johnson, Henry Johnson was uh, Willie Mays, in my opinion. This man was a part of a regiment that was disowned by the United States government. They was disowned by the United States government. Hear me once again. They volunteered to fight for the country to keep the world safe for democracy, and it was disowned by their own government at a time where black folks were getting left every day or every day in the health of this country. So think about that, okay? And also, before they went overseas, they were stationed, guess where? Spartanburg, South Carolina. Once again, they were stationed in Spartanburg, South Carolina, these brothers from New York and Puerto Rico and all other parts of the country. And they almost had a race war down there in Spartanburg, South Carolina, because the local people down there didn't like these uppity niggas with these uniforms on, with these ideas about equality. And the only reason that that race war did not happen in Spartanburg, South Carolina, because it's an old saying that said that music soothes the savage beast. And when you're dealing with the beast of white supremacy, ain't nothing better they like than some black music. So they were lucky to have the Harlem Hellfighters the one and only James Reese Europe, a brilliant visionary musician who actually used music to calm the crackers down in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And soon thereafter, they were shipped overseas. Now, the reason why I bring this up is that the Harlem Hellfighters, the 369th Regiment, which was adopted by the French, they were probably the most decorated regiment coming out of America. They was on the fire. They was on the consecutive fire longer than any group from America. They were on the consecutive fire for 191 straight days. They were taking fire from the enemy for over 191 straight days. They never lost an inch of ground to the enemy. They never lost a person to enemy capture. All right? So they all got awarded the Croix de Guerre. That's the, the French equivalent of the Medal of Honor. Okay? And so you have people like Henry Johnson who saved his friend from getting captured by the Germans. This man held out 24 Germans by himself with just a bolo knife, okay? He had just one knife, he held out 24 Germans by himself and got stabbed over 21 times and shot. And he still survived to only get disrespected by his country. He was so great and brave that even somebody like a white supremacist cracker like Theodore Roosevelt said that Henry Johnson was one of the five bravest Americans of the entire World War. So this is a black man who fought for this country that disowned him and that even disrespected him to the day he died, and for decades this is disrespecting him. And what's added insult to injury, once he got the Medal of Honor recognition, he allegedly had a son named Herman Johnson. Herman Johnson was a, a, a famous Tuskegee Airman. He lived in Kansas City. He died in 2004 at the age of 87, but he spent the majority of his life fighting for recognition for a man who's not with his father. Come to find out that they said that this man known as Henry Johnson, Father Henry Johnson was not his father because another man's name was on the birth, a birth certificate. That's what they say. Now, you know, they give him the medal. Like they got a medal from President Obama, right? You know, Henry Johnson. And we still honor who President Obama's father really is. We don't know who President Obama's father is. So, so now they deny this family the recognition that they, that they deserve, fighting for decades on behalf of Henry Johnson to get his proper recognition from this government that's disowned him. And now the family could not even receive the Medal of Honor that they fought so hard for, that, that his uh, supposed son fought so hard for, uh, hard for, excuse me. 
So this is what we're dealing with here when we deal with America. We're not even talking about the Confederate flag. This is the United States flag that denied his brother his rightful uh, designation as an American hero. So I want to get to the phone lines uh, right quick. And uh, like I said, like you could talk if you're unmuted. I got you out here. You could talk and speak your mind. But this is some stuff I want to share with people because you're not going to get this stuff from no dumb limit. You're not going to get none of this, you know, this uh, insight from anybody, you know, because they got an agenda to keep people dumb, to keep them like useful idiots and wasteful eaters. That's the agenda. So you're not going to get the news you need to get. And also people need to get hit to the fact that the most important news of the, of the week comes out on Friday. That's why all this stuff happened on Friday, all those distractions. So, right. you know, jump in. The other thing, people got to demand more for, for Obama just only just coming from Charleston just for the eulogy. I mean, right. look, look how fast he put the action to, you know, for the gay rights. I mean, mm-hmm. good grief. I think it was a lesson uh, by the morning that, you know, he did a statement. He came out speaking, well, you know, speaking to the, the people of the Supreme Court, even though he needed to come out anyway. But um, right. just more. And he hadn't even done that with police brutality and reparations or anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. that, that, yeah, that, that says more than that. And um, police listeners, um, let know that um, – uh, there's another person that was convicted regarding the um, uh, Malcolm X grandson that was killed in Mexico. He's right. trying to get the truth and answers and justice about that. So we're, we we must continue with that too. Also, he was sentenced to 27 years, right? right? No, no problem. He, he, see, why does that? Why did John not talk about mm-hmm. this, right? Malcolm X grandson. This is not his birthday celebration for Malcolm X, his grandfather. And he's talking about this big victory done. Do grassroots organizing in Mexico by the brothers and sisters down there. They're not even amplifying yeah, it. You know, also, what happened a couple of weeks ago, which I was very surprised, was when DET News One uh, did more coverage about the first person that was convicted. And I think that must have happened for them to um, Mexico to do uh, much further to make sure another one was convicted. But we, we still need more. Brother Ron, this is Philip Hyman again hey, go ahead, sir. Um, mm-hmm. conversation. Um, I um, just want to say a couple of things and then I almost probably get off and let y'all have it. But um, one thing that I found very, very valuable to me and, 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 and anything that I address is uh, we really need to it, empowerment is for me is educating myself to the total picture of what's going on here. Um, again, with slavery, um, you know, we have indentured servitude now still happening mm-hmm. and today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even if we really look at the beginnings of slavery, um, basically the the whole thing started in South Carolina and it started right. um, by them and sla- certain tribes selling out other tribes to be sold into slavery for a basically a skin of deer. And mm. then the people found out that that was too expensive, and then that's where the black trade um, started for them um, importing slaves. But originally the, the first slaves that were working in agriculture in America were basically Native, Native Americans that were turned in basically for their – um, a land, um, an opportunity for one tribe to gain other person's lands, basically. 
And even with the civil rights movement, um, a lot of people that have not lived through that really need to educate ourselves and know exactly these stories that, that y'all are telling now. We need Everybody needs to know those things because it is also part of our history. But also with the um, even the Irish immigrants, when they came mm-hmm. in in New York, um, basically um, the behaviors in the factories and children uh, working in the factories, you know, we got to look at these things in the context of the time that they were in also. And then I agree totally with the, um, uh, the person from the Chronicle saying that we need to vote. But an even, even a step further, we need to take and make sure that we have proper elections. In North Charleston, the city of North Charleston runs its own election. Um, they have people that work for the city pick up votes. Um, they have a lot of things that are very clear violations of the way that elections supposed to be working. Mm-hmm. That's the way that we take back the country. We have to take the country back at a small area, or usually at a neighborhood council, and then we work our way up to, from there. Because obviously the politicians that we have now are not or have their own agenda, and then the way that the government's supposed to work is they're supposed to figure out what we want, and then whatever that agenda is, whether they believe in it or not, they're supposed to represent. Right. Uh, so these are things that are, are, are the problems that I see. And in, and as far as, as, as um, uh, there needs to be um, looking at mental illness, this person that definitely shot these people, there was something wrong obviously there, and we need to look at that. But we need to offer support for mental illness instead of the ignorance now that is going in the country, even at a legal sense, with the leg- legislatures, but also the court system on mental illness and how to address this, what to look for, and then and to get to these people before they get to these points of tragedy. Well, Brother Philip, I want to interrupt you on that. You you said it was a mental illness. I said it's a system that produced this guy. It's not a mental. I mean, I don't think racism is a mental illness, or white supremacy is a mental illness. I think it's a system yeah, that was devised to give people programs. Blown into full hate. Yeah, it is blown into full hate, and then that's. I can't even understand how somebody can sit there an hour with people, especially an eighty-seven-year-old lady that was the grandmother mm-hmm. for the whole neighborhood, and then turn around and do that. There's something. Totally evil with that. Yes, I agree Mr. with that. Hurt. Yeah, Mr. go ahead. Hurt. Go ahead, Sister Burr. Let me speak as a let me speak as a psychologist now because mm-hmm. it's in my professional area. Okay. Racism is not a mental illness yet, no. uh-uh. <laughs> but it's going to be headed that way, and let me mm-hmm. tell you why. Right. Because it's going to be able to get a lot of people out of a lot of trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Back in 2000, let me give you some history. Back in 2002, when the war got really bad, we saw a lot of a lot of GIs coming back with a traumatic brain injuries. The the systems were failing them, and they did not know what to do. I am by trade a rehabilitation counselor. It's one part medical, one part psychosocial. I don't do physical therapy. I do mental therapy. Okay. I work with people that are considered disabled. Instead of those people going into the VA system like they were supposed to do, the VA was too full, so they started bringing them our way, okay? What's going to happen is that there are so many people out in the private sector now that they don't know what to do with. 
they put him in the prison. You know mm-hmm. what I'm telling you? Mm-hmm. They had to put him in population because they overpopulated the prison. And I know in the South, because at that time I was living in, in Montgomery, Alabama, they closed every facility in the state of Alabama. If we wanted to look for a facility to get treatment for somebody, we had to send them to the Florida line. It's called Florida, just over the Florida and Alabama line. There was one facility, and that was always full. They're going to, and it's headed that way, say that racism is a mental illness, and they're going to do it so they can put people in systems and watch them. But I want to give you three points that you and the journalists in Charleston spoke about. Mm-hmm. You guys talked about the video footage. You talked about the, the politicians, and you talked about uh, Governor Haley's speech. Let me mm-hmm. talk about the video footage. This was the first thing I thought about. Mm-hmm. Where's the footage of this boy, uh, this murderer, leaving the church? We saw him going in, but I didn't see mm-hmm. him coming out. What? Mm-hmm. And who gave this murderer, because that's what he is, he's a murderer, mm-hmm. Who gave this murderer the knowledge to even think of doing the research on the church? Okay. And how did this murderer understand the knowledge? Because this boy ain't even smart enough to get a decent haircut. (laughs) Uh You understand what I'm telling you? All those pictures we saw of him posed up on the beach, writing on the beach and all that kind of stuff. Somebody had to either take them pictures or he had sense enough to set that camera. Which one? I want to know how much of this boy got. Okay. He he sought that church out, and he sought that reverend out, that senator out, and he did it for a reason. He sat down next to him. That takes a special demon to go into a church and have Bible study with some folks and then kill him. You got to be a real special demon. That ain't mental illness. That's a cold-blooded murderer. Let me tell you this. The only reason them politicians are concerned about that rag, because I don't call it a flag, it's a rag, mm-hmm. is because the major corporations have shown monetary disinterest in that rag. Monetary disinterest. Right. Right. Okay? You know why that is? I'll tell you why it is. And I told mm-hmm. you six months ago, I said, mm-hmm. Mr. Hurd, get ready for that TTIP bill to get signed. Didn't I tell you that? Yes, ma'am. You they told me. talking about it. Yeah. I told you it's going to get signed. Didn't I tell you that? Yes, ma'am. I said, you got to get ready. The ink is really dry. We're just waiting on a good time to bring it out and tell the public it's signed. Here, it's mm-hmm. already passed Congress. They said it's in the Senate now. The Senate wanted it. <laughs> you think they go? They're going to reject it? No. Hmm. You don't send no paperwork over to Hogan Lovells in Washington, D.C. and don't get what you want. Do you understand uh, what I'm telling you? I hear you. Look up Hogan Lovells and see, and see what you see what I know, okay? Mm-hmm. That bill is getting ready to get signed. It's getting ready to get announced to the public. And you know what that means for the American public? It means that we can shop anywhere in the world with ease, with ease. You can go get some Peruvian food, and it won't even get inspected. So you'll get it like you shopping over here in New York or California or something like that. Wow. Okay? That's Mm -hmm. what's going to bring up. Okay? Do Mm -hmm. you for one minute think that eBay and Amazon can take a chance 
<laughs> on this internet selling these kids, selling each other what, what's going on in the world and lose customers? They're not getting ready to do that. Please believe you always in this country follow the money. We live in a capitalist system and society. That's what makes everything go around in this country, money. Follow it to the end, and you'll see where the problem begins. Okay? Now I want you to go back, Mr. Hurd, and I want you to go back and pull up Haley's speech, Governor Haley's speech. Listen to it real good. Mm-hmm. She rode that line. She rode the fence. She was on everybody's side. Wasn't it? Mm-hmm. That's right. And at the very end, at the very end, listen to what she said at the very end. She said, and we're ushering in a new birth of a nation. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't laugh at that one. I'm sorry, Chris. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. There you go. You were real good. And you'll hear mm-hmm. what I did. Wow. That's, what's that code for? That's code mm-hmm. for we're going to take this shit back. That's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear. Let's be very clear. Now, let me tell you this. Mm-hmm. I was down south. I was down in the deep south. I did a lot of work in the deep south. And I enjoyed myself, but it was hard. You know, you got to fight black folks to help them. That's just, that's the way you go. Yes, ma'am. Now, look, Google just, I'm going to send it to you. I'm going to put it over there on your uh, on your uh, timeline on Twitter because I want the folks to see it. You retweet that. Mm-hmm. Google just yeah. came out with their own set of research on racism. They pulled the research from every place else, and then they put the algorithm in it to see where is the most racism in this country. Hmm. Well, lo and behold, it comes up from Georgia and it stops up there in Vermont. The most racist places in America are on the East Coast and it wasn't in South Carolina. So it ain't about the flag. It ain't about no flag. You understand what I'm telling you? It's about economics. It's about the environment. It's about education. It's about employment. It's about housing. It's about all the things that I've been fighting for all my life for yeah. other black folks. Yeah. That's what it's, that's racism. That's true racism. Racism is the okie doke. We're going to pull the flag down and, and Amazon not going to sell it and eBay. We're going to do this and Sears is using I didn't even know Sears had the daggone, uh, uh, you know, because Sears used to be yeah. Sears and Roebuck. I didn't even know Roebuck knew. Roebuck let the flag in? I didn't even know black folks were doing that. But you know what? They raised them in these days and times when the black woman is snatching it down, two black men raising it back up for the white man. I ain't never heard of that before, and I ain't never seen such things in my life before. I'm going to tell you, we living in a different day and a different time. If you're scared black man, black woman, to lose your job, why don't you be even scared to lose your child? Because that's where we headed. When they kill little four-year-old boys and little twelve-year-old boys playing in the park and in their house and accidentally shoot them, but you won't accidentally go to the south side of Chicago with them gang members. Accidentally run up on them. <laughs> accidentally do that. <laughs> See, but they're not gonna do that. They're not gonna do that. Accidentally run up on these uh, uh, white so-called supremacists because you know I don't believe in white supremacy. Mm-hmm. I believe in white supposed supremacy. <laughs> you know, they might yeah. think they're supreme. <laughs> but I wasn't raised to think that no white man was supreme. I don't fear no man. If I have to go out like a soldier, that's what I intend to do. I'm like that journalist over there in uh, in Charleston. He said they couldn't ask him. 
<laughs> and I'd have been standing right next to him. We both mm-hmm. been nodding our heads. Man, you better try to find somebody what to do that. Why would I raise the flag? And I'm going to tell you this, and I'm going to let somebody else speak. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. If we don't realize what's happening right now in 2015, the end of 2015, in the beginning of 2016, and I can't reiterate this enough, we are toast in this country. You're through. We're finished. We're going to be a part of the crowd. We done got all we're going to get out of Obama, which was nothing. He came in with a closed fist with us, and he's going to leave out of there with a closed fist. I was mad at Bush, and I'm mad at Obama, and I might be mad at the next one that come up in there. But I tell you what. We mm-hmm. had the first man sitting in the Oval Office with no black agenda. And I ain't saying the rest of them agendas that the other presidents had was good. I ain't saying right. that by any means. Mm-hmm. But what I am saying is they always had one, so we knew what we were up against. This is the worst system I have ever seen in my entire life, in my entire life. And I've never mm-hmm. seen so many young black men your age and and want to flee this country and never come back. This looks like something that was happening back in the 60s when they was leaving our body. That's what it looks like. They don't want to stay in the country no more. If all the black men, the ones that can get up and go and walk, if they ain't been maimed or in prison and can get a passport or held down with four or five different kind of babies from four or five different kind of mamas, the ones with the education is going to get up out of this country. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. What we going to do? And it's happening all the time. We cannot, we cannot allow ourselves to lose sight of what we need to do as a people for ourselves and for this country. Because this country don't move without us. It don't move without us. People ain't free without black folks being free. Nobody gets free without black people. The LGBTQ people that got their little legislation, and they've been howling the whole time. We just like black people. We get discriminated against like black people. And black people, and we all have that in common. They got their little legislation. Did they say anything about black folks? That's you right. And you ain't going here. Just like them white feminists that came in when we was doing the feminist movement back in the 60s and talking about free the black woman and the black woman needs to do this. We allowed them white women in, and then white women got their little stuff and went on. We ain't heard from them since. Now, here we go all over again. I'm here to tell you, take some lessons from the past and use them for the present. We can't do it again. We can't do it again. We know we got a big wagon. Black folks, black freedom has a big wagon, and everybody has a tendency to jump up on it, and we let them. I say it's time to fill some black folks up with the wagon. Let us roll it on, too. Let us get free. Give us free. Ain't that what they said in Armistice? We still right. hollering that today. I'm sorry. Well, you know, Brother Malcolm told us we got to take freedom. He said, they might can't give you no freedom. You got to take it. And we still wait for somebody to give us something. Amen. And, and if you credit play and rag, they rag thing, you know what the crap is going to say? They're going to say, this is your reparation. This is what y'all wanted, right? Y'all wanted this rag to take it now? Well, that's your reparations. And, and, and that's the thing. I hit this phone line because people, they jumping up. They want to say some stuff. They've been waiting patiently. So I don't think it's about that for their warning and for their history lesson. And I can hear some. 
Supreme historian yourself. How you doing today, sir? I'm doing fine, brother. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for waiting so patiently to get in, and I'd just like to get your thoughts on what we're talking about. Do you have anything new, or you want to reiterate some things? Well, brother, uh, Ron, this is Dr. Eastman. I kind of got in on the conversation. Actually, I was in and out. But um, I think this flag thing is, I think a lot of black people are underestimating how serious these people are about this flag. You know, that's the equivalent to a gang member, a black gang member's color. Crips and bloods, you know, mm-hmm. mess with their colors, they can kill you. And I'm really not as sure who's pushing this agenda uh, with this flag to make that the central issue of dealing with white supremacy and racism. Now, I was at the Million Man March press conference at Metropolitan AME Church um, um, earlier this week in Minister Farrakhan. And one of the things that we brought up, which I wholeheartedly agree, is that we've got a lot of hell under the American flag. You know, I mean, when you look at after the birth of a nation, um, the movie The Birth of a Nation and the second rise of the KKK, they were marched down um, uh, uh, on Pennsylvania Avenue, the KKK, with American flags. They didn't have, they didn't have Confederate flags. You know, so we kind of forget, you know. And also I thought the timing of the Supreme Court's decision uh, regarding the, the legalization of homosexuality as it reflected as it referenced oh, as, as it as it references um, um, what was going on in Charleston, South Carolina. I thought that was pretty pretty serious. You know, and, it, and I was watching C-SPAN throughout that time, it was almost as if C-SPAN didn't even want to flip over to what was going on in um, South Carolina. You know, it, it, it's almost as if they trivialized this, this massacre of nine um, black people who were massacred by, allegedly by this guy, Dylan Taylor. Um, so I'm not sure what else you talked about. You know, I know your other show you talked about the um, that book, the Klansman, and right the work of the and all of it. Yeah. yeah, you talked about that this show. On this show. Yeah, Doctor. Yeah, Doctor. We actually talked about that. Actually, I think C-SPAN was the only one that actually did the best coverage of the film. They covered it from the start to the finish. It was CNN and MSNBC that spent more time on the Supreme Court decision as it relates to the same-sex marriage issue. But C-SPAN was the only one that remained true to the coverage of the whole thing. And I, and I, I thank God for a C-SPAN. Black America don't need a CNN. We need a C-SPAN. We need a black C-SPAN. Right. Because they covered the whole thing. Right. I, didn't, I don't care for the punditry. I, I know more stuff than these fools got in their whole brain, the so, so-called pundits. I know right. more things I forgot about. They know all their lies. So I don't need them to tell me how to interpret a speech or a song. But my problem with my people is, I did not see a funeral on Friday. I saw a musical. I saw Porgy and Bess. This is where Porgy and Bess is from. 
They didn't do no no real constructive thing. They were talking about singing and sing. They said, brother, you can't speak no longer than two minutes now. You a Baptist preacher or you A.M.E. But we're going to sing about three songs in a row, and then President Obama going to think he Al Green. And so like, this is crazy as hell to me. I said, what is this? This is a farce. This is a farce. <laughs> this is like what Malcolm talked about. We so far removed from Malcolm, brother, is ridiculous. And as far as the press or thing, I, I respect the press office, but brother, we got Dada White syndrome or him. Just as if brothers sisters don't talk about it, they feel about it, they don't brag about it, they don't issue no warnings, they don't issue no uh, no ultimatums. If you're real about what you do, if you about putting in that work, then that's a problem. Dr. King, the day he got killed was the day he had no guns around him. Because every time he went down south, Dr. King had armed guards. He had brothers with guns around him. I talked to Mega Evans' brother, Charles Evans. He'll be 93 this year on September 11th. The reason why he's still alive is because he didn't want to be no martyr. He didn't want to be no saint. He was a sinner. So what he, before he came down south to take over his brother's place, he was pimping. Okay, he was a pimp, a numbers runner. And he did business with the mob. He took on the mob for control of his nightclubs in Chicago. So he was a gangster. And so he came down there for his brother looking for the killers uh, who killed Megan Evans. He shot a Delta Airlines flight for 238 with a shotgun on an airplane. Came out of Mississippi, stayed down there. But like he said, when Dr. King came to Jackson, Mississippi, he would run to his house because he had all the goons with guns. And when Dr. King did the march against Spirit for uh, James Marathon, he had the biggest for defense. He had brothers with guns around him. And the day they popped him, because normally when Dr. King came to Memphis, he had all black detective security details from the Mr. Police Department. They all had guns. And the day they popped him, when he had nobody around with guns to protect him. The same thing with Malcolm X up in the, at, at the Audubon. When they didn't check folks at the, go, at the door, when the police stopped him with three dozen police feet around the Audubon, when he spoke, that's when they popped Malcolm. So this nonviolence, uh, you only nonviolent with the folks that's nonviolent with you. See, violence in itself of protecting yourself, that's intelligence, like Malcolm said. It's not violence when you're protecting yourself. It's called intelligence, okay? So self-preservation is the number one law of nature. So when I see black folks talking about uh, we forgive these people, and yet the, the people up in Boston, the white folks up in Boston, the Boston Marathon Obama say, I'm sorry, everybody. Please forgive me. Oh, we don't care about you being sorry, boy. We're going to kill you. But black folks, oh, we forgive you, you know. But my cousin owe me $5. I hate that nigga. Or oh, so-and-so owe me to it. He stepped on my shoes. But a uh, person kill your grandma up in church. Oh, we forgive you. Okay, this is the problem that we have as a people. I don't mean to go on my tangent, but brother, it's a... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I think the brother hangs up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, brother Hammond, are you still there? You need to go? You want to say anything about what you're doing in Charleston? No, I'm here. I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm here. And that, that was one of the points that I would love to make is that, um, yes, the Boston um, uh, people were still angry at the people that perpetrated that. Mm -hmm. You notice most of the people and the family in Charleston said that they forgive the people immediately. Right. And and what a a great statement, what a great precedence to set. You know, I think that also helped with, with the anger and, and it helped with the unity. I mean, I've seen some beautiful things. The people having arms together across the bridge of, of that was, I mean, yes, it was a tragedy, but that, mm-hmm. that was one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen in my whole life of unity. Uh-huh. I've never seen that happen anywhere in the world. You know, mm-hmm. 
So um, we, you know, I think that that should be said, and also uh, that that people here, Governor Haley, yes, she's, you know, the quote was that we're going to take down the flag in certain papers, right? But what mm-hmm. she didn't say, and what wasn't on the head of the paper was, we're going to discuss to take the flag down. Sure. We're not going to take the flag down. We're going to discuss to take the flag down. That should have been the headline. But her, her, the quotes were from certain TV stations, which we won't say, um, mm-hmm. was that, you know, look at great Governor Haley. She's stepping up. She's going to take the flag down. No, she's going to talk about taking the flag down, and she knows how that works. And right. she knows that there's Glenn McConnell and other people that are very, very passionate about that, that are very powerful in that area. Mm-hmm. So the chances that we're going to have anything happen, again, are slim. And and that's what I'm really always about. And then um, for the lady also, um, there are also white people that are out here making a big difference. I painted murals of social justice of kids killed in in domestic violence for the YWCA. I painted murals at Mary Ford Elementary School. It was the last black school that before integration that actually kept the school open. I painted the first landowners in the city of North Charleston was four black freedmen that won their independence during the Civil War mm-hmm. and came out and bought 200 acres of land, called it Liberty Hill. Mm-hmm. You know, So there are people, but also I'm very unique because I went to a school, which was Bonds Wilson, was a black school before integration. And I survived that time period and saw people killed and murdered going to school. And that's the reason why me as a white person became active for the causes that are basically of humanity. Whether you be black or white, um, the stories that I tell and that I get involved in are more about humanity. And then even with the Walter Scott case, the reason why I became involved in that case was because it was unbecoming of a human being. And that's mm-hmm. really where this discussion starts going. What mm-hmm. is okay, yep. that is not wait appropriate for anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Wait a minute, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> Let me just say this. Wait a minute now. Okay. We're not out here saying white lives matter. Because as black people in this country, we've been told that all our lives. Okay, we're saying black lives matter because we want to matter too. No, we're I'm saying human beings. Let me I'm, finish. I'm now. Native American. I let, you I, I let you finish. Let me finish. Okay. Let me okay. finish. We don't right. put a discount on anybody's life. We don't do that. But what we are saying is that we want the same rights to everything else that everybody except for the Native Americans in this country have, and even they have their own land. We Mm. have got to make sure that black people move forward in that country, in this country. And if we don't do that, this country is going to fail. Whether you want to believe it or not, this country Mm. will fail. Because my opinion of the country is your hurt. And if we're not put to the forefront to say, listen, we have the most people in poverty, we have the highest unemployment, we have the highest uh, discrimination in housing, we have the highest 
uh, 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 poor education in schools, if we go point that out as a people in this country, then we are facing a very difficult road ahead. And I'm going to tell you why. I said to people in positions of power and authority right there in Washington, D.C., after the economic collapse in 2007, because it started in six, I saw it mm-hmm. in seven, and at eight, it was gone, okay? Mm-hmm. It was not just the economic collapse in this country. Everybody all over the world got robbed. That's what happened. Don't believe that housing crisis. We got robbed. That's just what it is. Right. I said in 2010, if you all don't put some money on the street, these people are going to get violent. Ain't no money on the street. The people are violent. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Mm-hmm. You have these people have got to understand what the real issues are in this country. We have a terrible disparity of in systems, and we have a terrible disparity in poverty between blacks and whites. And unless we face that particular issue, unless we call it out like we see it, we're not going to get anywhere. We can say human and humanity all we want to. The LGBTQ people just got there. That's humanity. What about ours? We still ain't got nothing. We still need some. The legislation that I know that my father put on the book in HUD uh, for SBA in the Department of Commerce, in the Department of Agriculture. I could call it out and tell you what it is. They're trying to, the Democrats have been trying to take that away. For eight years, I've been having to battle these people to say, leave it on the books. And they've been biting away, chipping away, and doing everything else. My uncle Arthur Fletcher, who is the father of affirmative action, where's his legislation to help move blacks forward? They chipped away at that. Now it's gone. Look at the voting rights act. They're chipping away at that. It's getting ready to go. So you mean to tell me that black folks ain't going to get, we ain't going to get, we already can't send our kids to the park. We already can't drive. We can't walk. We can't chew gum. We so can't do it at the same time because we're going to get shot. We're going to get killed. We're going to get killed for a traffic incident right down there in North Charleston because a light was out on your car. So that's t- it's time enough for me to shoot you in the back eight times. Come on, now. You need to talk mm-hmm. about humanity. Don't talk about humanity to me until my people are seen as human. All right, that's just about that. I want to bring in a, a, another voice from the Midwest, uh, Sister Queen KC, Sister Renee Bass. How you doing today? Welcome to We All Read. I'm good, Ron. How are you? I'm good. Good to hear your voice. Thank you. And peace to everybody who's on the line. Um, wow, 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 wow. I have a lot to say, but I'm going to try to... Go ahead. You take um, <laughs> <laughs> But, um, you know, this is the thing with um, Charleston and everything and with the Confederate flag. Um, again, it's only to deflect from what happened in South Carolina. It's only to deflect from the way mm-hmm. that black people are treated and the brutality okay. um, that goes on and the brutal, brutal murder of those nine innocent people in church. Um, so they had to do something kind of like a peace offering, but not really a peace offering because they're not going to change it. It was only about we'll talk about it. But see, that's the thing. So so now they've got people over here looking at the Confederate flag instead of looking at what happened to these nine people. Mm-hmm. If this had been a black man, 
who went in a white church and who killed nine white people, okay, this would be on the news for months down here. They would have it on all the time. They would be doing all kind of memorials, um, everything under the sun. They got this boy, okay, and they talking about, oh, he was perfect because we got him. they got him in without incident and all this kind of stuff. If that had been a black man, they would have shot him on sight. They would have considered him armed and dangerous after he just killed nine people. They didn't do that. If you look at the video when they got him, they got some fat cop up there getting him, some, uh, you know, somebody that you you wouldn't expect them to do. If that was a black man, they would have had Navy SEAL type uh, officers up there taking that man out. You know? And, um, and the thing about it is, is this. We have to understand that we are we're we're under a depopulation order, and black folk are not seeing the writing on the wall. It's been there forever, and specifically when we look at the police, the police will never be fully implicated, or they will their um, how they operate will never change. That's mm-hmm. because the police are the front line enforcers for the system of white supremacy. They are the ones that are right there with the people. So they have to operate in a certain way to uphold the system. So that is why they can go out here and kill black men for nothing and say they were threatened because they are the ones who help bring the black men into the system so that they can lock the black man up. So the police are never going to be uh, they're never going to have any type of radical changes made. Um, they're never going to stop targeting black men. That's what they want to lock black men up. It's going to keep going. So we need to understand what the police actually are. They're doing their job. They are not um, operating out of line for what they're supposed to be doing. So we need to reassess that. Um, the other thing is Obama, he's at the, at the funeral singing old Negro spirituals or whatever, and all of this kind of stuff. It was really disgusting to me. It was really disgusting. And like you said, Ron, that was a show. You know, mm-hmm. that wasn't, I didn't feel anything really heartfelt from that. And, and it just really disgusting. And for the, the man who was talking about that there are white people out here, you know, who care and who are doing things, look, I don't subscribe to that whole thing, there are some good white people. Of course they are. That, that goes without saying. However, we have to look at the facts. So white people can come and join hands and march and all of that. But that's not enough, and it means nothing when these people go back to their own communities and continue to pop up the system of white supremacy and white privilege. Mm. Now, my belief is this. White folks do not want equality for black people. If they did, okay, we're 150 years out of chattel uh, uh, slavery. Because mm-hmm. if they did, it would have been different a long time ago, ages ago. It would be different. White people are not willing to respect their white privilege for our black assets, excuse me. Mm-hmm. They're not willing to. So they put on a show, and they go and hold hands, and they do all these sorts of things. That means nothing. We need action. We don't need nobody going and hugging. Oh, I'm a white woman going to hug a black person and then hold We don't need that. That doesn't change anything because we're supposed to feel better because white people can't shoot us the home. No. And, you know, as far as Obama, um, he is not black. 
I don't know why so many black people cannot get that. This man is biracial. He is not black. We have not had a black president yet. Black people do also don't understand what's happening on the front as far as the biracial and mixing. See, they're changing the concept of blackness to be represented by biracial and mixed people. This way, it's easier for them to navigate back to whiteness. Because if we look at the facts, we know that starting in 2013 was the first year in recorded history that, that um, more white people died than were born. Okay, same mm-hmm. for two, 2014. Mm-hmm. So they've got to try to do something to maneuver things. Because if your population is not growing, you've got to do something about it. So that means you have to control the other people's population to keep you so you can remain to have the system of white supremacy. You know mm-hmm. that if you get too many of these other folks, that that's going to completely shift the dynamic. So they've got to implement many different forms of genocide, be it abortion, homosexuality, uh, interracial relationships, all of those things, in order to keep them at the level of being in control. We still don't see that. We need to redefine. We need to redefine blackness because this whole idea of the one drop rule that was created by the system of white supremacy in order to keep all of their organizations and their legacy and all of their elite this, this, and the other to keep it as white as possible. So they said, if you have one black relative, I think it's in four generations or eight generations, it might be eight, if you have one, then you are considered black. And that's bull. A black person is someone who has two black parents, a black mother and a black father. We don't get that. The black population of people who have a black mother and black father has not grown since the early 1990s. The only part that has grown is biracial people in which they tag that into the black population. We don't understand what's going on. We don't value ourselves. We don't value our blackness. And then let me say this, and I'll be done. Um, Two things. One. We talk about when we talk about we talk about now notice any time like with this um this this beast that went in and killed those nine black people. This white um guy sent me this message online talking about, Oh well, he's not a white supremacist. He he's uh somebody who was just in a deep dark place. Now, see how they do? Mm-hmm. You can't tell me that if a black man did that, they would be sitting up saying, oh, he's depressed, and he had a stepmom, and they said the stepdad, I mean, his dad was, you know, kind of physically abused. They would have never said that. They would have said that man is a monster. He's an animal, and he deserves to, to die on sight. But yet, we're sitting here supposedly having sympathy and empathy for this boy. Same thing with the, the white boy who killed them four people, and they said he has affluenza. Right. Now, how come, and he got off, this dude got off with probation, and, and he had money to send to some um, counseling or whatever. Do you think they would have did that with black folks? And we sit here and we go along with We can't stand and talk about poverty. We can't say, because if that's an excuse, how come poverty can't be an excuse? How come yeah. black men living in poverty and they commit a crime, how come they can't say, I'm in, I grew up in poverty conditions? Does that keep them off the hook? Of course it never would. You know, and and this is the thing. Then, too, when we say, oh, well, 
let me address this too, with the um like Chicago and all that. They mm-hmm. love to blow that up. Anytime something happens that white folk do and kill black folk, the very first thing they say is, What about black on black crime? They right. say, Well, why don't you guys care about the lives that other black people are taking and all this sorts of things? See, that right there is a misnomer. That right there is a deflection tactic. Because mm-hmm. nobody else is said to have white on white crime, Asian on Asian crime, Mexican. You never hear that. Why do you hear that with black people? And if you look at the facts, most crime is intra-racial, meaning people victimize the people within their race more than they do outside of their race. Those are the people who are most, they have the most access to. That's, that's reality. There's, there's nothing different about that across the board racially. The other thing about it that they don't tell you is since 1995, for the last 20 years, quote-unquote black-on-black crime has dropped by over 67%. They don't tell you that. They don't tell you. They want to feed you these stories that, that, that are fabricated sometimes, that yeah. the police manipulate sometimes, and then they want to blow that out there and say, well, we shouldn't have respect for them they, in their life because they don't even have respect for themselves. That's a damn lie. For young black men, juveniles and young black men who have committed um, armed robbery, those numbers in the past few years have dropped by 40%. So it's not even that it's staying the same. It's constantly going down. But they want to play black folks into thinking something else. And this is what I always tell people when they say, well, what about black-on-black crime? If all black-on-black crime stops today, the condition of black people would not change because our condition is not about black on black crime. Our condition is about the system. But again, they use it as a deflection tactic. Black people stop being so blind, stop being so gullible to what these people think. That when they had all the white folks down there in Waco, those white a hundred and something people arrested, right? They were sitting out there on their cell phones and they they supposedly under arrest. A hundred and something. Uh, 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 bikers arrested, was it like nine people killed or something? You see, they hurry up and shut that down. You didn't hear nothing else about it. They ain't nobody said nothing about it. Now, when that happened, did they go talk about white-on-white crime? When a tragedy happens to white people, like the white boy who went up and shot up that movie theater, did people say, what about white-on-white crime when that happened? No, they didn't. They talked about the victims and everything that happened with that. So, So black folks stopped being... Uh, um, you know, stop, stop going with the flow. The last thing is this, and this is my last thing. Um, this gay rights situation, okay? Mm-hmm. Ron, you know I've been on this hard for right. now, over two years now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, of course I was not surprised. The writing was on the wall. Um, it was just a matter of time before they went ahead federally and did this. The mm-hmm. people who are in position, who are in power, in this country are homosexuals or bisexuals. These are people that operate in in this this type of lifestyle, okay? And so they want this to be pushed onto society. Now, black folk can't even get a damn Confederate flag taken down, but you won't sit up and say two men and two women who can produce nothing should be able to get married? And then the gay people have scooped the hell out of America because they say, oh, nothing is going to change. 
It won't change your relationship. It won't change this and that and the other. That's a damn lie. It will change things because when uh, a gay marriage passes in the state, which now is federally, so mm-hmm. it's federally mandated that it be taught in public schools starting from the kindergarten. So now you have little babies knowing the word bisexual and LGBT. Why should they know that? Why is this something that children should be taught? This is not productive. This does not do anything to advance us. But they want to push this as a lifestyle choice that people can make. They have absolutely duped us on everything. It changes the entire dynamic of society. Because now Mm. we can say anybody can do damn near anything. We don't have Mm. any rules. We don't have any moral guidelines. The whole purpose of marriage in the first place is because the man and the woman are the only ones who can produce life. And we want Mm. self-preservation as human beings. So if that's the case, it was more uh, beneficial for the men and women to be together, to raise the children, and to operate while one does this and one does the other. And it was productive and fundamental to the development of society. Now, Mm -hmm. how in the hell do two men or two women, how was that fundamental to the growth of the society? It's not. Like Elton Neely Fuller said, he, he said, all you have to do is ask one question. One question you don't even have to get into. Most of the nothing with the homosexual stuff. Does it make society better? That's the yeah. only question. And it does not. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I'm you. that's good. Mm-hmm. This is why I have the shows I have because I think it's important. Yeah, but you know, we don't we don't we don't help our own. We don't help the people that advocate for us a lot of times. We do them in. We be the first one to turn them in, like them my fancy. Like the sister who took down the flag or the rag. We'd be the first ones to turn them in. The first thing you got to deal with be your own people before you deal with the real enemy. Amen. You got to deal with your own people because they've been programmed. And, like, I want to piggyback with Kay, uh, Sister Casey, Sister Janae, Queen Casey, I call her. Said, like, when in South, uh, South Carolina magistrate, whatever the hell he was, said that, you know, Bill Ruth, I'm the judge of victims as, as y'all are. I'm just a small-time piece of judge, but I, I say it's perfectly legal <laughs> to feel sorry for Dylan Roof and his family. Right. I declare, you want some KMC? But here's the thing. But the sister said that, I'm going back to Colin Ferguson, Long Island, New York, the railroad, quote-unquote, massacre. They gave that brother over 315 years in prison. I went to school with a brother, Bobby Collins. He was a football star at Washington University in St. Louis. In 2005, a judge sentenced him to 540 years for raping a white woman, for breaking in somebody's house and raping a white woman. I'm not saying he's right to rape, but he got sentenced to 540 years. That was 2005, so he's 10 years in to a 540 year sentence, and he didn't kill nobody. Wow. And this is what the judge said. The judge said this: uh, Circuit Judge Margaret Neal, who presided over the trial, called the attack. The most heinous. She said, "This is the most heinous that I have seen during my twelve years on the bench." Heinous crime deserves harsh punishment. He did not kill anybody. Wow. He broke into somebody's house. He violently beat and sexually assaulted her for thirty and ninety minutes. Well, America has been violently beating us and sexually assaulting us for four hundred years. You know, and they gave this brother five hundred forty years. This is what I'm saying. The Confederate flag was never the problem. And, and, <laughs> it was the American flag that's the real Confederate flag, okay? 
It's those 13 balls in sight on that flag on old glory. He's the problem. It ain't the comparative flag. My thing is about this. My trouble with the flag is I got such a conflicted history. I got got a white syndrome when it comes to white supremacy racism in America as a black man. I live in Memphis. We got the number one cracker in the history of crackers buried on the on the dearest Memphis street. During a nation's death before, he was buried with his wife underneath his horse's statue. On one of the busiest streets in Memphis, just a couple of blocks away where they lynched out the king, where they assassinated out the king, and where they ran out of the wells out of this damn town. Just a couple of blocks away from both of those places where they killed out the king, and where they ran out of the wells on out of town, they burned down a newspaper office on Bill Street. There is the number one cracker, the king of the crackers, General Nathan Bedford Forrest, permanently displayed for all the sons and daughters of the Confederacy to visit. And here's the thing about uh, white supremacy and racism. When I went to school at Washington University of St. Louis, I don't ever forget this. I went to the Scholars in the Art Banquet my freshman year. I met one of the biggest donors that the school had at that time. He probably did because he was an old cracker back then. And that was about a while ago. Okay. We had a talk. You know about from Memphis? We talked about Civil War and baseball. He said, you don't know who my hero is. I said, yes, sir. Who's your hero? It's never mentioned that before. That's my hero, son. I said, I didn't know I'm a black dude from Memphis. I just told him I'm from Memphis. And I know a little bit something. What are you trying to tell me? I don't belong here. Or I should know my place. Like, I didn't tell him that I knew who he was, that he was the first man with the KKK, that he was a prominent slave trader, that he matched a whole bunch of black soldiers at Fort Pillow. He matched up black soldiers on April 12th, 1864. April 12th, 2015, they beat the hell out of Freddie Gray. April 12th, 1861, started the Civil War in South Carolina. He crackers love numbers and history. See, that's a problem. We don't know history. We look at that flag, we think it's just a flag. See, we move to museums. Negroes don't go to new museums. Negroes don't read and write. We we listen to songs. Put it into a song. We're going to forget it then. Hell, walk a flock or somebody or beat your young son singing about the Confederate flag. Tell them how to tune that mother. You know, because we won't forget it then, but we got to read. When it's something to save our lives, we won't even read. We, want, we don't even understand what we're looking at. So what I'm saying is, who's asking for this flag removal? It's not black people asking for this. We just want Obama to sing the song with us. Come on, Mr. President. Go ahead. Amazing Grace was written by a slave trader, John Newton. We singing Death Tune. We singing a song written by a slave trading cracker. Right. And that's Black Hole's favorite song, Amazing Grace. I'm sorry. That was Dr. King's favorite song of all things. That is, you know what we're dealing with. That was his favorite song, Amazing Grace. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take all this time, but go ahead. Oh, no, I just want to say this. It's so I just want to say this. Um, if there was, I think, a white person on the line or whatever, who, whoever's listening, this is something I don't understand. Um, people talk about, like, people talk about coming and marching and, and joining hands and all this kind of stuff and hugging and all that. This is the thing I don't understand. This is why I say white people do not want, collectively, they do not want equality for black people, because why don't white folks go after your own racist people, people and organizations mm-hmm. like the KKK, Stormfront, and these other white nationalist groups, Inheads, what have you? Why do you all not go after them? Why are you not going to dismantle what they're doing? I, I don't no. understand that. And they know that these people are in their family, their friends, their communities, right. and they say right. nothing about it. Can I say something about that? That's how you can help black people. If you want to help black people, deal with your people. Get them together. 
Well, um, you don't really know me, so um, you can't really make that estimation, but I already have. I'm not seeing when you all think collectively. When, I know, but as a child, um, our entertainment, um, the school I went to, one of the things that came back with the flashback for Walter Scott was mm-hmm. um, seeing a, a bunch of KKK members, including two 20-year-old men, jumping over a fence, quote, mm-hmm. beating a bunch of people's heads in, but the, the people was another word. Mm-hmm. And then, so at the top of the fence, I saw a man being, uh, an 18-year-old person being shot, falling over like a sack of meat, you know? Mm-hmm. So as far as things that I've done as a person, um, when I, uh, yes, uh, even as a child, um, I, my father was, uh, went to a black person who was Mr. Hyman to ask mm-hmm. permission to marry my wife his wife, my mother. Um, I was never really taught, um, uh, that. And then I went to Bonds Wilson, which was a black school before integration. So I got to witness reverse prejudice. But also oh, uh, societal prejudice and how it affected uh, people at, at Bonds Wilson when we won state. There was a shooting at the game and there was a write up about the shooting instead of Bonds Wilson won state. But um, even as a child, I used to carry um, and steal the KKK um, posters and have them chase me into the woods and I would run them through the stickers um, mm. and, and as, as, as for fun. And even as 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 a, a a person that went to Bonds Wilson, as soon as I got out of school, I became active and painted um, murals of social justice for, for Martin Luther King's birthday at Cannon Street Y, and, and received a lot of reverse prejudice from Muslims. I've also been um, a person that has the last black school that was in that was designated as a black school for North Charleston. Um, I actually kept the school open. I went there one summer and painted a whole summer, painted them historical black inventors, um, portraits of them to help the children understand uh, the history that was there for them. And also with Walter Scott, I was one of the first people that, that said something was wrong and stood up and then I tried to hold the police accountable. I'm still trying to hold them accountable now because the cameras that they got were the cameras that had the button that they can turn off, and I knew that that's what they were going to get from the federal government. And believe me, uh, I have done everything I possibly can, and then y'all don't understand what it is to be a white person that does these things because I put myself in as a threat um, the same. They will, they will shoot me the same as they will shoot anybody. So you, you honestly so we don't know your struggle, then, right? But this is um, okay. But when, I mean, you gotta understand what, I, not, what my history is. Also, I, I, okay, I grew well, up in in more black situations than than white situations. Okay. And, okay. And well, I'm not I'm not discrediting anything that you said and everything. That's great. That's mm. fine. But I mean, seriously, on a collective collective level, white folk. Do not go after these racist organizations. They do not go after people in the community who are doing things to black people, who are doing destructive things. They don't go after these people. They will come out and march and stand, but they don't take care of their own folks. And this I is would, the thing when we have this thing, when we have this thing of 
reverse racism and, and all this kind of stuff um, that you hear. If there is in, in black people that, that hate white people and all this kind of stuff, look, if there is any hatred that black folk feel, then it's the hate that hate produced. If there's any prejudice that black folk inflict, it's the prejudice that prejudice produced. Do you understand that's a reaction? That's a reaction. Okay, cause and effect. This is from the system of white supremacy and racism, oppressing black people. See, that's the thing that ticks me off, too, when they say black folks play the race card and stuff like that. So you mean to tell me that you can systematically oppress my people, but when I say something about it, I'm wrong? You can systematically oppress my people, but I don't have the right to say that? No, no, um, I'm sorry. Basically, you're looking at, at all white people as being the same. And just like with the um, Confederates, um, you're looking at all the Confederates as the same. Um, but really, there's um, really more Native American. And, and really, if you really look at the history of what has happened to us as a nation, we, I can totally understand. And, and because my skin is white, I'm not a total white person. I'm not summed up as being a person. So when you're out, when you're out, and people see you, they say, "Oh, he's got a part of Native American," or do they see you as a white man? Um, um, it depends on who they are. If they're a friend of mine, they see me as the individual. No, person just someone who doesn't know you. Just someone who doesn't know you. They will see you as a white man. Um, you know, that's, that's yeah, I would say that but... because even when CNN came and interviewed me, that was the first observation the person had. And I, I'm a person that thinks what we need to look at people as human beings first. And I, and if, I mean, I, said, I know, I know, I'm sure of that. You can't look at a person as a human being first. See, that's the thing. Y'all, y'all, some of y'all think, I'm sorry, I'm going to say this real quick. Some, some white people say things like, I'm colorblind, I don't see color. That's why do you lie. have to keep saying a uh, white a lie. Why can't it be a, a person? Wait, wait, because wait, 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 wait. My hold point hold that hold I made hold before hold also, hold if we were in Cuba, we would not be talking about white people or black people. We're in Cuba, you are either white in Cuba, black, or and, and you're Cuban. And if you were in South America, uh, you would be in Brazilian, you would be a white, a black, or a white person. Wait, but you okay. right. and they have a very But also, concentrate too much on this white and black. Wait, wait, let me step in. Let me step okay. in and give you all a moment <laughs> of clarity. <laughs> a moment of clarity here. Let me make it perfectly clear, because I've been in this game probably – uh, I know longer than the both of you all have been on this earth, okay? I'm just that old. So let me give you a moment of clarity. Racism is not a black person's problem. That's not a black, black folk's problem. That's no. Okay? It's a human being problem. Racism no, is power. Let's, wait a minute. Racism is power and control. Can we be prejudiced? We sure can. We can prejudge anybody. If, or can we discriminate? We can if we're in a position to be able to do so. But we right. can't be racist. Racism, That's right. Being a racist and racism is a white person's problem. It begins in your home. And I counsel young black women and young black men, and I tell them all the time, 
And I'm going to say I'm going to give it to you straight, no chaser. You got to train your white folks. Now, let me tell you what that means. Uh-huh. White people as a whole have not been taught how to treat black people. They've only been taught how to treat each other. You treat each other with respect. I'm talking about these right-thinking white people. Treat people with respect. Treat people like this. Don't be mean to people. They're not talking specifically black people. So when these kids come out of these white homes and they come into society, society shows them something different. It shows them something different about black people. It says Mm -hmm. this is how we really treat black people in society. So these kids come out of these homes as youngsters, they grow into teenagers, and they get indoctrinated into a system that white people call white supremacy. I don't call it that. I call it white folks thinking because that's what it is. And I'm not saying that they're wrong for that. I'm saying they're indoctrinated in that. Just like that young woman was saying, this is a systemic and systematic problem. It's built into the system. When you are, when these kids go to college, when they go to high school, they're shown something different about black people, even if they didn't get that in their home, but they were never taught in the home. You're going to go out here one day and go into society, and you're going to see how they treat black people, but in this home, we don't do that. They're not specifically teaching that, and until they do, we will always, as black folks, have the effects of racism that we fight. We fight racist effects. We don't fight racism. Yeah. We fight the effects of racism. That's our job. Right. When we right. see it coming, we got to stop it. If we see it on the horizon, we got to stop it. That's what we do. White people need to fight racism, not us. I will never fight racism. <laughs> I don't care if you like me ever in my lifetime. But guess what? You're going to respect me and you're going right. to treat me a certain kind of way. That's what right. you're going to do. And right. you're going to do it for my people as long as I'm on this earth alive and black. And that's yeah, what we're I'm, I'm glad you so understood what racism mm-hmm. is truly all about. That's something I'm we gl- can't argue. And I'm glad that Sister Barnett stepped in and said what she said. It's very important because uh, when y'all was talking, I was thinking about Theodore Roosevelt, uh, one of our so-called quote unquote mm-hmm. great president. And Theodore Roosevelt was interesting because right. his guy, he was a Lincoln Republican. But he had two uncles that fought for the Confederacy, and they went over to England to avoid uh, capture and prosecution. So he had two uncles that he was very proud of that fought for the Confederacy. And then he also was a Lincoln Republican. He saw Lincoln going through New York as his funeral, you know, procession went through New York, and uh, he saw it from a window as a five-year-old kid. I think he was like five or seven. But here's the thing. He also invited Booker T. Washington to dine with him in the White House with his wife and oldest daughter. And white folks, he can't help from white people doing that. And also he's a guy who was a white supremacist. So this this is how complex uh-huh. this thing is. So my thing with white people, all white people really are de facto racist. I'm going to say why. Because until exactly. you say, I want to get rid of this racist and white supremacist system, you're still a racist. By de facto. You're de facto racist. You're a passive racist. You're aggressive racist. But you're still a racist because you, you believe in a system that oppresses and represses people of color. Whether you believe it in, in a passionate way or in a passive way, you still are guilty. Just like black folks are guilty of, of keeping a system of white supremacy Racism alive. When we join your military, I tell you about Sergeant Henry Johnson being disowned by the government and basically being destroyed by this government. 
talk about Joe Lewis donating a million dollars to this government, and they destroyed him through income tax evasion. That's Joe Lewis. He fought boxing matches for free for the government, for Uncle Sam, and they still screwed him over. So black folks have always been screwed over by this system from day one. This system has never benefited right. black people from day one. Everything that was done to exploit and undermine black folks has benefited all white people for generations. Ain't no white people can escape this unless you John Brown and put not only your life on the line, but your son's lives on the line and also their names. So if you are willing to, you know, so many of us are dying to keep this system alive. It's a dying system, and it's killing us. And the thing about black people, we got to understand is we don't need to fight racism and white supremacy. We need to focus on black liberation because what happened 100 years ago, this is not being talked about. The NACP was never for black liberation. And I'm not saying this to be a put-down to the NACP. They were for integration. They were for to be integrated with the white supremacist system. A hundred years ago, we had a person that stood for black liberation, and they took him out. His name was Booker T. Washington. He said black folks do for self, and they took him out. And we went with the NACP. And I'm going to show you just how white people think they're not racist, but they're ingrained to think a certain way. Look right. at the woman, Rachel Dolezal or whatever. The right. one, the white woman who was mm-hmm. in blackface, okay, in the uh, uh, NAACP. Now, see, people were saying, oh, I actually heard black people say, well, at least she was doing something for black people. She's done more for black people than a lot of black folk have and all this kind of stuff. She didn't mm-hmm. do anything for black people. Right. This woman was being paid for what it is that she did. And she, see, I believe she's racist. I believe that's racism. And that's white mm-hmm. privilege, what she did. Because, see, what she mm-hmm. did was she manipulated the system. And you're supposed to care so much about black people and black people's rights and all of this kind of stuff. But you further disenfranchised black people by being a fraud. You kept other black men and black women who were qualified from being in that position, who were authentically black. You went and spoke to black youth about supposedly your experiences as a black woman and your understanding of things as a black woman. But you're not a black woman. So what are you speaking from? You're speaking from a white woman's perspective to black people and telling them something. And for those children or young people or adults who heard those things, and maybe they agree with what she said or maybe they sunk into them, you further disenfranchise these people. You further victimize the black community because you completely frauded yourself and misrepresented yourself. Now, this is the thing. If you care so much about black folks, why were you not a a white woman doing this? Why were you not a white woman, again, like I said, speaking to white racist people? Why were you trying to reach them? See, it's all a fraud. It's all a manipulation. And this woman is racist as hell. Rachel Bolazar, yes, she is. Let me, she let me set up and put on black face in a wig. Let me say this about that woman because I had, you know, the people came out and, like you said, everybody had an opinion about race, uh, uh, whatever the woman's name is. But yeah. anyway, uh, you know, let me tell you about this. See, just like you said, she's a liar, she's mm-hmm. a cheat, and she's a thief. Okay, mm-hmm. that's what she is. She yes. was conveniently white at Howard. That means right. when she sued and lost and they made her pay. That's right. She left a thousand dollars. That's when she turned black. 
Let's be honest. And she lied about it. She yep. cheated about them, them things she was doing. And she stole. And that's what she's trying to portray as a black person in America. A liar right. and a thief. That's let me right. tell you what a white that's came right. in. Let me tell you, let me tell you why she, she's white to the bone white. White to the bone white. Mm-hmm. She went to that post office of hers. Mm-hmm. And she done lied over there and said she was being harassed and threatened. And people are threatening her life because she's a black woman over here, mm. and, and and they got to kill her. They mm. She lied to the post office. That's a federal crime of a different mm-hmm. nature. That's like the IRS or the military. Uh-huh. You know what I'm right. saying? It's, a, it's yep. an entity unto itself in the United States of America. Right. That ain't no right. regular, that ain't no regular felon, felony. That's a different type of felony, but it's a uh-huh. felony nonetheless. You get real time for that. When they found out the woman was not black, the police decided to drop the investigation on her. Of course they did. Had she really been black, she'd have been slammed up in the jail. Now look at here. Ain't that white to the bone white? Ain't that white to the bone white? Okay? I just want to know, what is she doing now that she knows, that we know, that she ain't white? Now, she could have never passed my test. So, see... I come from he a the bad mm-hmm. We question that. We question my back in the day we used to question that. Okay. Who is your family? What do people look like? We need proof and we want receipts, okay? Right. Y'all don't ask for receipts, but we need to go back to that. We need to get up. But look how sick look look how sick our people are though. Look how sick our people are. Because I honestly believe, because a lot of black folks defended her. I honestly believe that we are so so sick that black folks felt flattered. They felt flattered by this woman wanting to or pretending to be black. They don't understand that was all a scam. They say some black folks took pride in that. Like, wow, she really wants to be black. She wants to be like us. No. I mean, that was a scam. That was a fraud. And then she had all of those issues in her family. Her brother did this in Colorado. They done adopted these Haitian kids, and then they got this and everything, and they, and then the, the, she got a crazy family. Like, we ain't got enough over here with black folks to deal with. Take that mess back over there on the other Thank side. Thank you. Come over here with it. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. That's right. And also, I want to, I just found out today, I just found out a moment ago that uh, we did a show with you all, Sister uh, Barnett and Sister Casey, Sister Renee. Of a guy named Chris Pepe who actually resigned from his job at Washington University in St. Louis to protest their lack of diversity. I just found out just a moment ago that he passed. I don't know how he passed. He died about two or three weeks ago. And he was a white man. He didn't go undercover. He didn't go undercover as a brother to do the work of the people. He actually worked in the archives. He worked in the Henry Hampton archives at Washington University in St. Louis. Henry Hampton was the creator of the Eyes of the Prize documentary. And I had a chance to meet this brother uh-huh. um, back in 2009 while I was going through the archives for several days. And he was very helpful, very respectful, and really believed in uh, people's history from a Howard point of view. I don't know how he passed away. His name is Chris Pepper. I'm still trying to find out details. Chris Pepper. I'm trying to find out the name. The name? I'm going to tell you something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What's his name? Chris Pepper. You say his name was what? 
Pep is P E P U S. Do you know what's going on down there in Ferguson? The young lady on the phone, she's down there in in St. Louis or Ferguson. She's in Kansas City. I mean, uh, she's in KC. Yeah. Oh, okay. Misery. Uh, not too far. Okay, not too yeah. far. But let me tell you something. I'm getting word down there, and then got word in the past three, four days, man. The clan is down there so heavy, and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, he's on these white folks so bad that's helping these black folks, and these black and these white folks ain't getting too much help from the black folks. Now, what's really going on now? They was helping the black folks. The clan came in, man. I and and I've got to get on it on Monday. I got to make some phone calls because I can't have folks calling me somebody they need help. And they in a place in a position where I can't get to them. Because you know, right. when you get to be a certain age, you ain't scared of the clan. You understand what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. you've been with them for so long. You know what I mean? Yeah. They don't really. Yeah. Mean, they don't mean too much to you no more. You know what I mean? You know how to watch them. Mm-hmm. You know. But they they scare some of them white folks down there. But when well, you know my thing is this though. The other problem. Mhm. Go ahead. Now I was gonna say the other problem is that um. We have basically we've been up under them for so long that now what we're dealing with, you know, like we people were saying earlier, we got to fight our people to try to reach them and teach them. Yeah. Um, but we have been under this so long that we have a whole ton of black white supremacists. Mm-hmm. So we got a ton of black folks right. who hate black people, a ton of black folks who idolize whites, put white people on a pedestal. They are the standard for humanity. They cannot stand another black person. They think they are one of very few decent black people. And they do the white supremacists work for them. Because now you hate your own people. So you're definitely not going to try to unify with anybody. Because you're, you're thinking and operating like they do. And these people are absolutely brilliant and savvy when it comes to indoctrination, when it comes to propagandizing the black community. Because you have a 24-7 negative campaign against black folks being run in the media. And the problem is perception is reality. So if you can get people to perceive that black people are crooks and criminals and no good and stupid and, and don't want anything and on food stamps and welfare and all that, and you can get people to perceive that that's true, you don't have to prove that it's true because now that's what people think. So we've got a bunch of black folks conditioned to hate other black people, and it's mm-hmm. really disgusting. And, I mean, sometimes it's just, it's just overwhelming sometimes. But it's overwhelming, but it's good to have allies. I mean, like, I always want to say this quick thing. I look at white supremacy from the – I mean, I can look at Teddy Roosevelt. you got to study Teddy Roosevelt, you know, Roosevelt, to understand how white supremacists really work. Because black folks always help white people when it comes to white supremacy. That's how we've been, like, programmed to do. For example, with Teddy Roosevelt, when he was a rough rider over there during the Spanish-American War, it was the Buffalo soldiers that saved his life. They led the charge up to San Juan Hill. But then he portrayed the Buffalo soldiers – in the 1906 Brownsville affair, when black soldiers were attacked by white folks in Texas, and they defended themselves, they shot, it, they shot the white people in self-defense, and he sold those soldiers out, even one of the commanders of the black soldiers who saved his life in San Juan Hill, one of the buffalo soldiers. I can't believe you sold us out like this. This is what white folks do. We help them, and they sell us out. I'm talking about white supremacists, the way they think. You know, if you look at the fact, you look at the Civil War, like you look at the Confederacy, you have about 3,700 black folks that own slaves. 
And guess where they owned the slaves at? They were in New Orleans, it was in Natchez, Mississippi, and it was up in Charleston. Charleston, South Carolina, where 40% of the enslaved Africans came from Charleston Harbor. They came to this country. And if you look at the Confederate flag, mm-hmm. some of where the flag is flown, some of the most brilliant and the strongest black folks we ever produced came out their Confederate flag where they fly, whether it be Mississippi. Look at all the great black folks, right. athletes and inventors of business people that came right. out of Mississippi on their Confederate flag flag. Look at South Carolina. South Look at Charleston. They could do did my Disney and Bumpy Johnson. Bumpy Johnson's from Charleston, right. the Harlem Godfather. You look at South Carolina, Mary McLeod Bethune, the person we should be researching. Like we should study Theodore Roosevelt, we should study Mary McLeod Bethune. We gave black folks the blueprint on how to do this thing. If you're going to deal with this game of white supremacy, you got to play the win. She came out of South Carolina. She built a school with just a dollar and twenty-five cents in the bank. But Don Cookman, one of the few black colleges, HBCU, talking about a black person, it still exists and still going strong. Right, right. Okay. So that's what we talking about. In the HBCUs, mm-hmm. I got into a conversation with a, a white guy before online, and um, I was talking about the fact that um, um, the elite families, people try to push that, but that's that's just white supremacy. Um, mm-hmm. On top of that, so he said, right. I brought up I think the um, Rockefellers or something, I, one of those families, and mm-hmm. he said, well, uh, they do stuff, they did things for black people, they helped black people, uh, they gave tons of money for this that, and the other. So mm-hmm. he talked about how Spellman is is named after um, was it a one of the wives within the Rockefeller family? Yeah, they they found Spellman. Yeah, yeah, one of them. <laughs> okay. Okay, mm-hmm. and so like I told him, so we're supposed to be grateful to white folks because of Spelman College, but it was the Rockefellers who funded Margaret Sanger. It's the right. Rockefellers who backed her financially to create Planned Parenthood, and we just yeah. said black people are just like we. They need to be exterminated. So I'm supposed to praise these white people for Spelman, but this woman over here, created a whole entity that since 1970 has killed over 10 million black babies. And so see how they do? They act like they handed you something, but the whole time you're being stabbed in the back and they mm-hmm. give you this little thing, you can say, oh, thank you. You know, so our people mm-hmm. don't know this. That's right. We don't know yeah. this. I was going to thank y'all for it. Go ahead. Uh, I just want to wrap it up for you all. I'm sorry I took so much of y'all time. I know we were a little bit overtime, but I just want to thank you all for hanging in there. And especially Brother Jaime, thank you for hanging in there as well. Now hanging up on the phone, but it got tough <laughs> for you. But I just, oh yeah, I'm glad. Thank you for sticking around and, and listening to the people. Because this is why it's so important to have conversations like this. So we're not getting this narrative in the news, in the quote-unquote corporate news. They don't want people to talk about these type of things. And yeah. my thing is this: I don't need no pundit to tell me how I should think or feel about anything. Just give me the facts. Let me look at the information. Let me critical think for myself. Let me do for self by thinking for self. So I can liberate and free myself. Because you can't give me no freedom. I gotta take my freedom. I gotta make my way. We gotta have self determination. We gotta make ourselves in our own image. We gotta control our narrative. We gotta tell our stories. I'm losing so many people here. I lost so many elders in these past couple weeks. Friends I didn't know I lost to today. And one thing they taught me was we gotta tell our own story. We gotta control our narrative. We gotta we gotta manifest our reality. So if all of y'all are creators on the phone, 
I'm going to give you all a chance to wrap it up and tell the house to get in contact or any final words or thoughts. And thank you all for being patient with me and sharing these stories and points of view. I really appreciate it. Let me, let me just say this because this is very important at this stage in lifetime when we talk about police reform because that's the major issue mm-hmm. on deck right now. You got that Michael Woods, used to be Baltimore cop, right? Mm-hmm. Right around here telling the story about he's retired now, telling the story about what the cops are doing and, and, and everything. And, right. and mm-hmm. talking about they targeting black men between the ages of 16, 24. The story is deep. Go on his timeline and read it. He's telling he's telling you the truth now. And I'm mm-hmm. talking about it's a hardcore truth, very hard mm-hmm. to swallow. Mm-hmm. Well, go on there and look and see what I said. Bring that story over here. I want that story. I want to put it before Congress. So if you all go on Twitter, ask him why is he not speaking to life and more life, which is my Twitter handle, okay, about Mm -hmm. going before Congress. I wanted to go before Congress and tell the story because let me tell you what I know about America. Nothing happens in this country without your paperwork. Mm -hmm. You need the paperwork. Go before Congress. Give us some paperwork so I can get black and white. You want to do some police reform in this country? You said you want to do it to the Washington Post. Well, come on, let's do it then. I'm ready. I can put you up next month. I got you for next month. You on deck already. Mm-hmm. You're talk to me. You won't bring that story here, will you? Now, mm-hmm. let's flush him out. Flush him out. Wow. Right there. Yes, Anybody else want to? I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll go real quick. Um. Yeah, just to wrap it up, I want to say that um, one of the, the main things we really need to um, to address, and this is just as important as anything else, is the uh, homosexuality issue. A lot of people don't want to deal with that, but this is really poised, really, really poised to really have a very destructive impact on the black community. Yeah. We mm-hmm. have to realize that. Um, this is another divide and conquer tactic. You have black people who, once they come out openly as homosexual or LGBT or whatever, they align with quote unquote gay rights instead of black rights. Right. Um, we have to promote the black man and the black woman. We have to promote that. There is black no way that we continue on this planet, in this country especially if we do not have the black man and black woman together. And um, this this whole idea of the homosexual thing is to bring in other other sexual per- perversions. We need to stop falling for the okie-doke. Too many black people accepted that homosexuals aligned with black people. They use black people to help get them in the door. They use black people to try to change the image of homosexuality to say that black or that people can be more masculine. This is they use Laverne Cox, the person off of um, Orange is the New Black, they're transsexual. This yeah. person had done no real other work or anything. How the hell after the first season they were on the cover of Time magazine? On the cover of for what? That's a prop that's propaganda to push. They use Michael Sam. They use the hell out of that boy. And now mm-hmm. he ain't no NFL team. They use that to further push oh, the agenda, to further, yeah, to further push the gay agenda. 
they used Michael Sam. And that boy went along with it because the gay organizations told him, look, if you come out publicly and be the first NFL uh, whatever, we will make sure you get in the NFL. We'll make sure team picks you up. And they followed their word. But guess what? Now he's not playing at all. So he played himself. They put this boy on TV kissing some white boy on ESPN and eating and licking cake off his face. Black people, wake up. A sexual perversion and proclivity is not the same thing as our race and our heritage and our ancestry. It's not the same damn thing. That is something sexual that you get a pleasure from. That's not the same thing as black skin and all of the, all of the things that we have been through. And we put, we put up there and accept it. That's a damn behavior. That's a behavior, not an ethnicity. Yeah. And we said, oh, what a gay people. You know, equality for everybody. So now they set up and had the White House with a rainbow color on the White House. But the Confederate flag is still raised. What does that tell you? And um, mm. I'm on Facebook, um, um, Renee Bass. Um, I don't know. Yeah, let's look up Renee Bass. Um, I think it might be a few, but you'll see the little profile. It's of a black woman um, with braids. So anyway, um, if y'all want to contact me or what have you. And thank you, Ron, as always. Great show. I appreciate it. You made it great. And Brother Hyman? Yeah, I'm going to say basically I'm going to keep doing what I can. It would be a white person or a black person to help fight inequalities in society, whether it be for (laughs) – I've done things for the Mexican community also. It's Mount Zion. It was the school where the Mexican kids went to school that had – doors falling off of it and had um, no running water in, in the bathroom and then had to get a, a squirt of soap. So for me, it's more about um, uh, the need for human beings to be considered as as worthy and, and consideration. And, and I will continue to do that, whether you be black, white, Mexican, native, um, I will be continuing doing and standing up and saying when something's wrong at the threat of my own repercussions, which I have received, whether I be black or white. Um, I still uh, get gauged um, with the same kind of outrage and the same kind of oppression, um, whether it be considered to be equal in value, it's still oppression and still put myself at risk and still doing things that I'm doing for individuals, whether they be white, black, or red, or Hispanic, or even um, a thing to be considered that I thought of in this conversation, there's ethnic ethnic cleansing going on by ISIS right now. Is that not prejudice also? Um, They're annihilating a whole race of people. And this is not an American American issue. Yeah. Awesome. Well, how can we start that? Before we get, let's do show all together, brother. How can we get in touch with you in the eyeball art movement? So you got some incredible artwork. I really enjoy. I mean, it's very well, healing and therapeutic you know, to look lot, at and but... experience. Go ahead. So, I may be going off the map again because um, you can imagine if you're a black person, you have a little bit of support with this. 
But if you're mm-hmm. a white person telling this story, you have no support, even from the black community or the white community. So I'm standing out here alone by myself, and y'all can't understand that, just the same as you say I can't understand what it is to be growing up in a black neighborhood and being that way, even though I've lived that life my whole life. But, you know, I will continue to do what I can do for humanity and, and for the human beings, um, because that's where the whole, whether you be black or white, these people that were shot, Walter Scott, it was a lack of humanity that was shown that was so offensive, not really the color of their skin. It was the way people treated human beings that was unacceptable here. And then that's the point that I will always be making, and that's the point that I will always be telling, too. Well, and then, I, uh, I don't support yeah. white, supremacy, white supremacy my whole life. I have been fighting that. And, and, and even at Bonds Wilson when I was there, um, I was fighting that. But also my battle is also to get people to understand that actually a person of white skin can actually care deeply and passionately about a lot of these things. And I can show you that I don't talk about that. I act about that. I make changes. I go and show people how to do make changes, largely because I'm an artist. I do have a, 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 a ability to get people to recognize certain things through the art, and then they educate themselves later. But the first initial reaction for me is, and the power that I have is being an artist. And then that tool can be used by anybody of any color, and that's the things that we need to really start stepping up to. No matter what color you're going to have to be, you need to step up and stand forward and make this place a better place. I have done that as large repercussions even to my personal life. I don't have the freedoms. I have had code enforcement extort me for two years. I've had the fire department show up when I'm burning trash on a Saturday afternoon. I don't have a normal rights of any person that would have in North Charleston. And especially if you are from a white supremacist area, which North Charleston, believe me, is very entrenched in that as the city. And if you're the person that's fighting that, even as a white person, I could be killed tomorrow the same as anybody else. Mm -hmm. That's what I am fighting. That's how serious this is for my life. That's right. And if y'all can't understand that, then that's fine. And I'm okay with that, but also talk to me, educate yourself about me, just the same as I need to educate myself about you and your concerns so I can understand and then see you for who you exactly are, not for somebody that I've seen before that I don't, that I compare you to, basically. Well, Brother I want to thank you for that. How can we find out more about your work, though? Like, what do we need to do? To find out more, or to get or to um, find that conversation. Yeah, eyeballart at yahoo dot com will be an, an email. Um, mm-hmm. You can friend me on Facebook at Philip Hyman and see a lot of my artwork there. And you can also look at eyeball art shows. I put together shows. I work with kids at risk and projects, um, creating art programs for them, and do a lot for the community. Um, right now, putting together the history. Um, of Bonds Wilson, I'm carrying that to North Charleston, 
high school um, of, of the three black schools that were basically demolished. Now I'm bringing the history of those schools back for the, for the students. The senior class of, of North Charleston has hired me to do this. So they oh, are lusting for this information. Well, Brother Hammond, I want to thank you for your continued yeah. service to the community. And also, I want to remind people of this because I, I just love history. That's why I study history because, you know, a lot of times nobody can remember that bad day they had 100 years ago. Nobody gives a damn good guy either. Unless you're going to make it there before, he died from God. He should have stopped kidding. No shit, he was full of shit, and he should have stopped kidding. That's how he died. If they don't make it there before, the first grandmother was taking case. His ass kept on running off. But anyway, Get to the point, you know, when people talk about, you know, sacrifices, man, of course you got to make sacrifice for liberation. If you want to be liberated, sacrifices must be made to say what Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. But you must want liberation over all things else if you want to be liberated. You must be willing to give your life uh, to have a life. You know, like uh, Tupac said his mama told him, if you can't find something to live for, son, then find something to die for. And we all got to mm-hmm. find something that is our purpose. Because I think about I.D. Wells Barnett. I know it gets lonely, uh, Brother Hyman. I mean, we all travel this road. It's a lonely road. But I.D. Wells Barnett travel a road going against Lincoln. For seven years by herself, she was on her own. She got ran out of Memphis. They burned down her newspaper office. First, the black folks ran her out of the school system because you talk about the inequities of how the black students and the black teachers were being treated. And the black folks ran out of the Memphis City school system then the white folks ran out the South. They burned down her newspaper office on Bill Street. And so she traveled by herself throughout the whole world for seven years, telling people that black folks are catching hell. And she was by herself for seven years. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, before Rosa Parks did what she did, she was on a train car and refused to remove from her seat. And she won the case in lower court, but she lost the case in Tennessee, in the Tennessee Supreme Court. This almost 80 years before Rosa Parks sat down on the bus. Ivy Wells did it by herself with nobody to help her. This long woman in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And I will always tell people, read her Memphis diary when she was in her 20s. She talked about the fears and the doubts. That is, would she ever be married? Would she ever have a career? I mean, she had all these doubts and fears in her mind going through it. But now we know it's just icon. But she was a real person 100 years ago, 150 years, 150, but 130 years or whatever ago. But what I'm saying is to say is the fact that, um, Anything worth having is worth fighting for, but sacrifices must be made, you know. And I want to thank everybody uh, for telling us. Also, I want to ask Dr. King, the few things he had easy. Don't you know that when they did his autopsy, even though he was he died at 39 years old, they say he had a heart of a 60-year-old man. His heart was a heart of a 60-year-old man because he was under so much stress for 13 years. In 1967, Dr. King called for a meeting. Of, of, of black ministers to support his poor people campaign. He called for a meeting of over 100 ministers in Virginia. And guess how many people showed up? Yeah. None. Nobody. So this is the type of stuff you got to deal with. Him. I mean, his biggest enemy was his own black ministers. They would not allow him to preach from pulpits mm-hmm. in certain churches. I mean, when he got killed, they have to celebrate the day he got killed from black ministers, from prominent black ministers. They celebrated in Chicago as well as in Alabama. So what I'm saying out to say that, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. And the road to hell is paved with good intentions. But I want to thank everybody for taking the time to talk about what's going on in our world today and to offer a different narrative than what we're hearing in the corporate news media. This is very important that people's voices be heard in this day and age. And also not to only 
talk the talk, but also walk the talk. So thank you all. In the words of Great Gilson, we love you madly, and keep on producing and pushing. All right. Okay. Thank you. Oh, the date is November something, the year 2013. The engineer here and the rapper the Pilgrim. Today is American history. Celebrate like George Washington, baby. Keep it going now. Hero and a criminal, the man is just a pilgrim. Hero and a criminal, the man is just a pilgrim. Quasi on the mission. Quasi on the mission. Quasi on the mission. Quasi on the mission. Hey, hero and a criminal, the man is just a pilgrim. Hero and a criminal, the man is just a pilgrim. Quasi on the mission. Quasi on the mission. He do it for the people, cause he know the people feel the flow. Tell me, do you feel the Tell me, do you feel the flow? Sliding in that river, sliding in the river. Mind is about I got feet moving, watching vinyl waves be lifting. And on your turntables, had the face on top of dripping. You know we kept it natural, and I like my raw tobacco. I've growing on that natural, it's between the swami shifting the I know you get my picture, now my record's a kick, this must have been a heavy sin, so thank God for me, that body's barking with me, that body's barking in it, she was my black woman, so made a man, not a man, designed to deliver, and yes, of course I lick it, the stampede, not a champion, but of course it's given, Hey, hero and a criminal, the man is just a pilgrim. Quasi on a mission, quasi on a mission. Mind on that money with the miles upon a million. Just tell me do you feel it? I swear this be the illness, it's the realest cold soap. From a nigga who's just chilling, yeah, he has that be a fiction. Got MPC prescription. He grind all seasons, put that first verse for the The rest will go to swimming. And money changes business. How I change the quarters. Get that thing of twenties, but I'm going to stick on When I'm whipping out that thinking, cause I gave a few seconds. Every part of the line is screaming, but after that I'm chilling. Reflecting on the memory. My mind frame racing like I'm tipping. Get some Christmas when he bought up in that way. The boy stays shining, putting on forgotten mission. Yeah. Hey, hero and a criminal. The man is just a pilgrim. Stop. Hero and a pilgrim now. Yeah. What? Quasi on a mission. Hey, quasi on a mission. Quasi on a mission. Cause we know the people tell him. Hero and a criminal. The man is just a pilgrim. Who that be? Who that be? Who that be? Yo, bro, get at me.
it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.